Audio Jungle. Audio Jungle. session going back to what if it unless i hope it doesn't happen but obviously we have forecast it because we think it is sadly the, the most likely outcome of course it is overwhelmingly caused by the actions of russia and, and the impact on on energy prices inflation in our country is just far too high uh we're not close to the federal reserve's uh, target for inflation and so i'm quite focused and the fed is quite focused on making sure we do the steps necessary to bring inflation back down to its target. We're in this for as long as it takes to get inflation down. So far, we've expeditiously raised the policy rate to the peak of the previous cycle, and the policy rate will need to rise further. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition with Francine Lacroix. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lackley here in London. Here's what's coming up on today's program. Showtime, the ECB is on the brink of a jumbo 75 basis point hike, even as recession risks rise. EU leaders ready emergency energy measures. As long as it takes, El Brainard joins a chorus of Fed speakers vowing to do whatever is needed to beat inflation. Plus, historic drop. Sterling hits a Thatcher-era low on Liz Truss's first day in office. She lays out her plan to tackle soaring gas and power prices today. Now, first thing is first, let's check on the markets. Of course, uh, Sterling and a lot of the currency moves are really capturing the imagination of certain traders uh, as we go into some of this global competitiveness. And it's extremely difficult uh, to fight the Fed. John Authors with a fantastic piece uh, saying that he doesn't really see what could stop the dollar's ascent. This is a picture for European stocks. So we're off the day's highs. Of course, this is as investors are preparing for this potentially unprecedented rise and interest rates that the ECB, Madame Lagarde, will have to explain. Of course, her reasoning, if she front loads and does 75 basis points, extremely interesting also to see her forecasts for the future in terms of inflation expectations. U.S. 10-year yield, 32636. Euro doll, 99.86. This will probably have to be addressed, although I know central bankers hate speaking about currencies in some shape or form. She'll have to address this because the weaker the euro, sure, it helps with exports, uh, but it's also much inflationary. And then finally, crude oil, 88.36. Now let's look at the European map. Again, it's a big day here in the UK. We have Liz Truss, a new prime minister, in charge for her second full day. She'll give that package on energy with hopefully details also on how she funds it. And then we heard from the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng. We know he's meeting uh, with the JP Morgan chief executive this morning. Yesterday he made 14 leaders from the finance industry and said he will deregulate and spur the city of London. The DAX unchanged, the CAC 40 unchanged, and the FTSE may be in Italy down one-tenth of eight percent. So the ECB holding its first monetary policy meeting since July when officials raised the key rate for the first time since 2011. The central bank is on the brink of a jumbo 75 basis point hike to wrestle back control over record inflation, even 
if the risk of a Eurozone recession rises. Now, for more, let's bring in Bloomberg's Europe correspondent, Maria Tadeo. Maria, the big question, 75 or 50? 75 or 50, Francine, that's the only question because when it comes to the uh, direction here, the only ways up for the European Central Bank, single mandate central bank, inflation now clearly way above target, they have to hike. Now, is it going to be 75? Will it be 50? When you look at the 75 basis points camp, what they say is right now there's a window and in that window you have to be decisive and you have to take swift action. Ultimately, this is about the the credibility of the institution going forward. You have to show that you can get a hold of inflation. The 50 basis points uh, camp, this may be on the minority, but they do bring up a fair argument, which is ultimately this is an economy that is facing the risk of a recession, but also now a full-blown energy crisis. The solutions for that energy crisis will be debated tomorrow, but for the time being, you've seen the market action. These are prices up for Europeans. They're coming at a very, very heavy cost. So ultimately, the response, which way this is going to fall, we'll find out in about a few hours' time uh, here in Frankfurt, of course, then followed by that press conference by Christine Lagarde. Yeah, I mean, there are three things also that Van Rom said we should be watching at the margin, of course, euro. When you look at that tool, that mechanism to deal with rising yields, I know Marie and I will also be following the Italian elections uh, very, very closely and then inflation forecast. Maria, thank you so much. As always, Maria Tadeo there in front of the ECB in Frankfurt. Now, of course, we'll also have comprehensive coverage of the ECB rate decision and Christine Lagarde's news conference today from 1.15 p.m. UK time, so stay tuned for that. Joining us now for the next 20 minutes to talk about ECB, to talk about the UK, really to talk about everything, uh, Simon French, Chief Economist at Panier Gordon. Simon, I mean, first of all, good morning. Good morning. I mean, are you just relieved that you're not working at the ECB? Because it's a bit of a nightmare. Do you front load or not in this kind of environment? I don't think they know, to be honest, and I think what we get today will be the updated staff projections yeah. and some estimate, probably not stated explicitly, but I would be staggered if it doesn't get mentioned in questions, what the terminal rate is for ECB uh, deposit rates. Because actually what we heard from Isabel Schnabel, Philip Lane, ahead of blackout, was the idea that that question of front-loading, really the scale of that, whether it's 50, whether it's 75, for people trying to trade the decision today, really depends where the staff projections and indeed the governing council see that terminal rate going and therefore where the front-loading looks in the context yeah. of a 200 spread that, or potentially higher. That's so, that's so difficult because if you look at the second round effects, if you look at third round, I mean, we could see so many companies in Germany and in the countries most affected by energy prices just go under. Yes. And... and yeah, and one of the things that actually the ECB won't have at their disposal, which we get next week, is labour cost data for right. Q2. Yeah. And, and that's going to be one of the big inputs for those second round effects, which uh, the ECB won't have at their disposal. They'll go with the anecdotal, the other survey-based data that those are starting to build. But we've also heard of market shift in the commentary towards inflation expectations with the, exp with the anticipation yeah. that those are a leading indicator of what yeah. wage settlements will be across the the eurozone and therefore that persistence of inflation. I, I hate be beating up on economists, especially as Go I have on. one of my favorite right here on set <laughs> with me. But their 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 staff projections have been so wrong. Mm -hmm. In you know they haven't been able to really see the crystallization of this much higher inflation. Why do we believe them now? 
So I'm going to defend economic forecasters, Please. not just in the Eurozone, not just the ECB, but across the world. What they have to do is they have to take conditional assumptions yep. on the pathway for energy market and the justification from the ECB, from the Fed, from the BOE is, well, there are people with skin in the game, people watching this program who trade energy. Yes. Why should we, what, what is better than taking the price of people who, whose livelihoods are dictated by trying to price that market correctly? What has happened in successive forecasts is those curves have fundamentally shifted from what they were in the preceding forecast. That is why we've had persistent one-sided errors. That is not excusing it away, it's explaining it away because there tends to be, not on this show, I hasten to add, but often there's a lot of shrill commentary, yes. uh, you know, beating up forecasters but those conditional assumptions if someone could come up with a better assumption yeah. than using the the market forward curve I'd love to hear it yeah no you're 100% fair and at the same time if you look at what we're living through is a central bank trying to, to you know deal with these supply shocks and frankly it's just not really up to them it depends on fiscal and the fiscal support they want to give absolutely which is why the market still sees that terminal rate may change today but around two percent and you may say well hang on but inflation's running at 9%, inflation expectations moving up, the expectation those will start to feed through into second round wage settlements. Why are we not talking about terminal rates, 3, 4, 5%? And it's for just that reason that a lot of the heavy lifting on medium term, longer term deflation is coming through from the removal of consumer spending power, expected to pass through into labor markets, the negotiating power, and therefore bring down that inflationary picture over the medium term, agnostic of what the central bank, not just in Europe, but in the UK, in many energy importing countries around the world, the heavy lifting is done by wholesale energy markets, right. not by policy yeah. rates. So, so if you look at your weakness, is it really only dollar strength? And if you look at these global imbalances, is there anything that will stop the dollar's rise? If we'd had this conversation a month or so ago, I'd have said it's, it's largely you know, dollar strength. But you're starting to see now when you track the relative spreads between two-year yields in Europe, in the UK, with the US, uh, you know, around the world, there's quite a tight relationship. But when you start to see effectively rate hikes not underscoring your currency, you're starting to see a bit of a breakdown in that relationship, suggesting it's not just a Fed story here. All right, Simon, thank you so much. Simon French, the Chief Economist at Panier Gordon, stays with us. We'll talk about the UK shortly and actually Simon French was on the podcast and he predicted everything that happened this week so we'll talk a lot more with Simon French about the UK in about 15 minutes from now. Coming up though we speak to an Italian MP Deborah Bergamini about the upcoming Italian election. She could also be one of uh, the kingmakers, the rainmakers in the EU coalition so don't miss that interview. It's coming up next and this is Bloomberg. Economics, finance, politics, this is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition and Francine Lacroix here in London. Now, when Italians vote on the 25th of September, Giorgia Meloni's decade-old right-wing party, Brothers Vitali, is expected to emerge as the largest party in Parliament. Meloni is in turn projected to be the nation's first female prime minister, 
propelled into office by disenchanted voters who, are, who aren't shy of betting on the tough-talking firebrand who remains dogged by controversy. Well, joining us now is Deborah Bergamini. Uh, she is Forza Italia MP, a former Berlusconi spokesperson, and of course she's also led some of the task forces under uh, Mario Draghi. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, talk to us about coalition building. So what does Mr. Berlusconi want in all of this? Does he want the presidency of the Senate? No, he has excluded this. He's not interested in any sort of political or institutional role for his future. He's uh, very happy to get back to the Senate, where he was sent away in 2013 in an incredible political event. So he's back to the Italian Senate, and we're all glad about this, but he's not expecting anything for himself. Do you think Giorgia Meloni to definitely become prime minister if Brothers of Italy end up being the biggest party in the election? Well, that is a role that the president of the republic uh, will, uh, will have. So it, it will be him who will decide. Of course, we expect the coalition of center-right, and this is true according to all the polls, to win by a landslide almost. So we are very positive in imagining that uh, one of the leaders will be uh, you know, chosen for the role. And uh, within our coalition, the agreement is that the party who will get more votes uh, will have the right to indicate the prime minister. So we will respect that, that agreement. I mean, of course, if you look at the polls right now, it would be a three-way coalition, Forza Italia, Brothers of Italy, and Salvini's party. Do you think that you would be, you know, willing to ditch Salvini to have a more fiscally responsible, maybe more market-pleasing government? But we will be responsible. We need to be responsible. We owe it to our six, over 60 million Italian citizens that need responses that are responsible. So we will respect all the, all the use that we have to do and we will be respectful of the PNRR plan with respect to, to Europe. We know that there's no choice other than this. I want to underline that the center-right coalition is a coalition that dates back to over 20 years ago, and we are ruling today 14 Italian regions out of 20 and many important cities. So, you know, we have a long experience of being together and working together for the sake of Italian citizens. Then Forza Italia is the very center of this coalition, the most moderate and liberal and pro-European force, and we will yeah. play our role into this. Uh, of course, when you really become or come into government, it's also about attracting foreign investment. So how protectionist do you think this government will be? Well, I don't expect the, the future uh, government to be protectionist. We live of export. You know how much has been estimated the value of the Italy brand? That's $2,000 billion. So we are an export country. We know that you know protectionism wouldn't help this sort of physiognomy that we have in our economy. So 
I don't think there's any risk of protectionism. Uh, rather, we will try to cut taxes because, you know, Italy is a country where the relationship between the state and payers, taxpayers, has never been, you know, very yeah. positive. So what we think we, we will do, and we have done it in the past already when we were at the government, is to reduce the tax pressure in order to give right. more money to families and enterprises. Uh, Mr. Salvini basically says that Russia's sanctions are not working. Do you agree with that? Well, this is not what he's saying, but he's uh, sharing a reflection on the fact that these sanctions are imposing sacrifices on our citizens. And we, we knew that right at the beginning. We knew that there would be some sacrifices to do in order to state our belonging to democracy and freedom. So we will continue to support sanctions. Lega and Forza Italia have done that always during the Draghi government. We know that this will mean some sacrifices, but we also know that this is the only way in order to defend our richness, right. our countries, and our citizens. So, Deborah, just so I understand 100% of the markets understand, Forza Italia's position right now is pro-sanctions. If there's a yes. coalition agreement with the three parties, how do you reconcile the differences that you have with Salvini? But these differences are along the electoral campaign. Each party has the right to put on the table their reflections, their ideas. But then facts are different. And the, the party of Salvini along the Draghi government, always when we had to decide whether to to go ahead with sanctions or not, they always decided yes in the parliament. So they have been consistent with the general position of the center-right coalition. And they will be consistent, I expect, also in the future. Deborah Bergamini, thank you so much for joining us today. Forza Italia and thank being you. former Berlusconi Sparks person, of course, also in charge of uh, one of these studies and, of course, fiscal groups that Mario Draghi put in place. So we'll have plenty more from uh, Simon French a little bit later. I'll ask him whether the ECB should worry a lot more or the markets should worry a lot more about the Italian election, certainly, than they are now. Coming up, the UK has a new government. It's planning to announce a new energy plan to tackle sky-high bills for people and companies that's coming up next and this is Bloomberg. finance, politics. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition on Francine Lacqua here in London. Now, we're getting some breaking news out of Tesla. Um, this time, I mean, it's always Elon Musk, but this time it's not for Twitter. Tesla delivers uh, just under 80,000 Chinese-made cars, so made in China, in their new factory over there for the month of August. That means it's up from 170 2% month on month, but that is probably because the lockdowns mean that it was just 
close in the past. Now let's get straight to the Bloomberg. First for news, here's Laura Wright. Hi, Laura. Hi, Francine. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is warning that a Chinese invasion of Taiwan remains a distinct threat. He's insisting the White House's position over the island's status has not changed, despite China's claims to the contrary. He spoke to Bloomberg for the David Rubenstein Show peer-to-peer -peer conversations. I think it remains a distinct threat uh, that there could be a military contingency around Taiwan. And uh, the People's Republic of China has actually stated as official policy that it is not taking the invasion of Taiwan off the table. In the U.S., President Joe Biden is holding back on a decision to scrap Trump-era tariffs on Chinese imports. We're told that's as the administration studies ways to help businesses seeking relief. Any decision before the U.S. midterm elections in November poses domestic and international risks for Biden and his fellow Democrats. The Federal Reserve's battle to bring inflation under control will likely cause more harm to the U.S. and world economy than anticipated. That's according to a pair of papers set for presentation at a Brookings Institution conference this week. One says the Fed will have to push unemployment higher to hit its inflation target. The other warns of the dangers of developing nations from rising U.S. interest rates and a strong dollar. China has extended the lockdown of its megacity Chengdu, home to 21 million people. It's the largest city to shut since Shanghai earlier this year. The decision to prolong the week-long lockdown shows Beijing remains committed to COVID-0, even as it becomes more costly for the economy. Global News 24 hours a day on air and at Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. This is Bloomberg Francine. Laura, thanks so much. We're getting some breaking news out of Japan. The foreign exchange chief, Mr. Kanda, speaking in Tokyo after a meeting on the financial stability. Now, he says, first of all, watch the FX market with a high sense of urgency. Uh, fundamentals alone, he says, cannot justify the recent yen move, and he will not rule out any response option if the move continues. We're lucky. We have Simon French. He said, if we don't talk yen, I'm walking out. So there it is. We have a lot of breaking news uh, from Japan. I mean, a bit of a nightmare, actually, for Japan, because they started talking tough, and mm. that didn't do the trick yesterday. Yeah, and I completely disagree with Mr. Kanda. Actually, if you plot the spread now emerging between treasuries and JGBs, actually, the yen has re reacted almost perfectly in fit mm. with when you compare it across the other G10 currencies. So I would say it's not an outsized move based on the sort of fundamental divergence of monetary policy. Now, is it uncomfortable, a depreciation of nearly 20 percent, uh, you know, against the U.S. dollar? Deeply uncomfortable. Is he trying to talk the market back? Yes. Will but it I, work? But, but the phrase, it's decoupled from the fundamentals, I don't think stands up to much analytical scrutiny. I'd love to see it's working. Yeah, so, so, but does it just go lower? I mean, given everything? Well, the problem, of course, is how much of it is already in the price because, of course, we talked about, you know, at the top of the show about terminal rates. Yeah. What does the terminal Fed rate look like and to what degree does that move? It's actually, I think most people would anticipate that the Japanese policy rate is not going to shift much from the zero lower bound. 
the Fed rate probably plateauing about four, but of course if that spread widens on expectations, not on policy action, that's what might move the yen further. All right, Simon, thanks so much. Simon French, Chief Economist at Penn Gordon, stays with us. We kept the best for last. We're speaking UK. This is Simon's also expertise. The Prime Minister Trust set to announce her energy plans. We'll discuss that next. This is Bloomberg. Showtime, the ECB is on the brink of a jumbo 75 basis point hike, even as recession risks rise. EU leaders ready emergency energy measures. As long as it takes, El Brainard joins a chorus of Fed speakers vowing to do whatever is needed to beat inflation. Plus, historic drop, Sterling hits a Thatcher era low. On Liz Truss's first day in office, she lays out her plan to tackle soaring gas and power prices today. So good morning, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lacqua here in London. Now, the UK's new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, will set out her plan to tackle soaring energy bills today, hopefully with a bit more meat on the bone on how she'll fund it. One thing we don't expect to see in those plans is a windfall tax on energy companies, as Truss has repeatedly come out against the idea, believing it may discourage investment in the UK. I am against a windfall tax. I believe it is the wrong thing to be, to be putting companies off investing in the United Kingdom just when we need to be growing the economy. What we need to do is increase our energy supplies long term. And that is why we will open up more supply in the North Sea, which the Honourable Gentleman has opposed. That is why we will build more nuclear power stations, which the Labour Party didn't do when they were in office. And that is why we will get on with delivering the supply as well as helping people through the winter. Well, let's bring in Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden, who was at Westminster yesterday, Downing Street the day before. So, Lizzie, uh, much of the bill has been leaked. What are we looking out for today? First of all, Francine, the price tag. So Bloomberg's seen documents uh, suggesting that this is going to cost £200 billion, but lots of different figures floating around. Even with that spending, uh, the documents suggest that people's energy bills will still be almost triple what they were last year, so not all the pain removed. Secondly, how targeted will these measures be? How much waste will there be fiscally? And thirdly, how is it all going to be paid for? You heard Liz Trust there seemingly ruling out a windfall tax, but later in the day, uh, it seems that perhaps she might uh, continue the current windfall tax, but not increase the rate or extend it to include power uh, generators. The, given uh, what she said about the windfall tax, though, there's surely going to be a lot more borrowing. And we heard from the BOE governor, Andrew Bailey, in front of the Treasury Select Committee yesterday, uh, saying that perhaps they're going to have to put the brakes on quantitative ease. Uh, tightening yeah. uh, uh, given the impact this would have so uh, lizzie what are we seeing in terms of what it means for boe i don't know what you know if it helps or hinders inflation um it, i mean two actually both being the same thing if you're hindered it helps with inflation certainly from a bank of england point of view and whether its independence is no longer under threat 
I think the difference is uh, the distinction that needs to be made and as Hugh Pill, the chief economist of the Bank of England, made at the Treasury Select Committee yesterday between the short and the long-term impact. So Bloomberg Economics reckons that this package means inflation will have already peaked uh, and that means that we won't have 75 basis points at the next BOE meeting this month uh, and also a recession can be avoided. On that point, Andrew Bailey disagreed. He said uh, that we are still going to have a recession. I'm interested what Simon French thinks about that. Uh, but the difference is the long term and uh, our economists reckon that this package means the economy will overheat and so rates will stay higher for longer. You mentioned about BOE independence. There's been a huge change of tune from this government uh, on that. Kwasi Kwarteng seems to be on the charm offensive with the city. Yesterday he said that the BOE's independence is sacrosanct and he's even going to have weekly meetings with the governor, twice weekly to begin with. What do we know about the City of London? There seems to be this unleashing of regulation. When do we find out more? Yeah, the Big Bang too. Again, this seems to be part of Kwasi Kwarteng's charm offensive. And finally, they seem to be uh, taking notice of the markets. We had Philip Hammond, the former chancellor, on this programme with us, uh, talking about how this government needs to uh, pay attention. Because yesterday, of course, we had a terrible day for the pound, the worst since Margaret Thatcher. Although Andrew Bailey also said that that could be a lot to do with dollar strength. Lizzie, thanks so much. Lizzie Burden there with the very latest. We had some fun facts. I mean, last time uh, the pound was so low in 1985, like Back to the Future was number one on our, on our movies list. Let's get back to Simon French. He's chief economist at Panyard Gordon. Simon, you came on the podcast two weeks ago. You said, you know, be careful because the list trust we're seeing in the campaign is going to be different. Is she that, that difference in terms of windfall tax? I know there's a bit of, I guess, softening uh, against the Bank of England. What else? Well, she said no handouts. Uh, that was very clear on the campaign trails. No handouts, which had to be interpreted as no transfers to support households with their energy costs. Well, what we're going to hear today is a tens, potentially hundreds of billions of pounds intervention, which won't go direct to households. It'll go via the energy companies in terms of, you know, covering the spread between the wholesale prices they've got to buy electricity and the prices they have to charge. But I think we are seeing a difference between the campaign messaging yes. and the realities of governance. And, and Lizzie also mentioned the Bank of England independence, some questions about money supply targeting, doing a mandate review. Certainly her new chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, is rowing back from those comments. Certainly if yesterday could be taken as an example of what they're going to say going forward. So deal with the energy crisis, mm. unregulate the city of London to make that boom that we've seen in the past. Does it make sense? We had this pretty scathing note from Deutsche Bank three days ago saying, look, we could also see an IMF intervention and actually deal with the balance of payments. Sterling has to, you know, I think collapse by another 30%. Mm. Sterling weakening and indeed nominal yields going higher on gilts is a logical way to clear the market based on the fact there's probably going to need to be additional issuance yeah. to deal with 
an energy price intervention on this scale. So it may not sit on the balance sheet of the, the government. There are some suggestions it may sit on retail banking balance sheets. We'll, we'll get some of those details later today. But either way, higher issuance, got to clear the market, bring in foreign investors by reducing the, the value of your exchange rate. The question is, and it goes back, actually, there's a theme running through this show. It's about the terms of trade, the second-order effects that could happen from, you know, a weak pound when we're very import-intensive in terms of the energy mix and the food mix and what that does to the cost of living. It, it feels a little bit like an emerging market. Am I being too harsh? Uh, I don't like that. Her personal view is I don't like that. I think that's a bit too... Uh, headline chasing from some of the banks that put that out. There is no doubt that sterling has not just been hit by the strength of the dollar, but has also seen some concerns over the institutional structure, the sustainability of its dual deficits. But an emerging market um, tends to be tends to trade on a broader set of factors than just those twin deficit broader institutional frameworks and there we've seen a bit more of a firming and perhaps a break from the johnson era the trust era looks to be a little bit more if you like consistent with some of those key architects that make it a developing market rather than an emerging market. If you look at the focus on the City of London, mm. is this a good or a bad thing for, for the overall economy? This is something that we did not hear from Boris Johnson's government and you could argue well it means that they'll focus less on maybe you know the counties that need it the most elsewhere. So I think it's a good thing. I think if you're, I didn't, certainly didn't expect uh, Liz Truss on the campaign trail to talk about Solvency 2 and MIFID 2, <laughs> but she did. And it sounds like they're going to review and continue to review through bills currently going through Parliament and potentially consultations coming out over the winter. Whether f freed from the... Uh, a requirement to align themselves with the EU27, whether there are areas which, you know, there's always a delicate balancing act to strike between global and indeed European uh, equivalence uh, alignment that, that is, you know, reduces friction on financial services trade versus some stuff which I think very reasonably the FCA, the Treasury are looking at and the Bank of England will be looking at and saying actually this doesn't suit the outsized nature of the UK financial sector, which is 8-9% of GDP, and therefore, to your, to your question, does it suit the UK's interest to perhaps pursue a bit of regulatory arbitrage, given the scale of it, the financial yeah. services sector? Yes, I think it does. Um, so, I mean, going back to forecasts, so when do you see peak pain for the UK economy? And I wonder whether we're maybe being too pessimistic. I, I mean, not we, but hmm. some banks, I mean, are also putting like inflation at 20-30%. Where do you see peak inflation next year and peak interest rates? Well, peak inflation, I think, in this cycle will come this year. Uh, Lizzie asked what, you know, what I thought about both the inflation and the growth outlook. Um, I think that the five-quarter recession the Bank of England had in their April, uh, sorry, their August oh, NPR yeah. is no longer fit for purpose given the scale yeah. of the fiscal intervention. I still see a shallow recession in Q4 and Q1, yeah. but then recovering going Q2 yeah. and through 2023. But in terms of inflation, I expect it to peak in October between 10 and 11 percent, you know, way down on the 18 percent, 22 percent, although in defence to Citigroup and Goldman Sachs, not a phrase you'd expect me to say, but in defence of them, those uh, forecasts 
were conditional on no fiscal yes. intervention. I just, at the time when clients asked me about this, I said, do we really think there's going to be no fiscal intervention? I spoke to you on the podcast. I said, there's an intervention coming. The question, will, one we find out today, is what that shape and the scale will look like. But certainly, inflation on that scale looks very, very unlikely with a unit cost cap on gas. And so interest rates from the Bank of England, what, stabilizing at around 25 3%? No, I think higher than that. I think there is, uh, we're hearing... How much higher? Well, I think but in the sort of 35 to 4% percent range um, why does it need to go that high because in you know what what the package gives on one hand in terms of reducing headline inflation uh, it takes away on the other hand in terms of you know it takes away the, the really bad macroeconomic outcome that was penciled in for 2023 and therefore Hugh Pill at uh, the chief economist of the Bank of England talking to lawmakers yesterday was very much talking about actually I'm not convinced the path has materially shifted from the curve and the market curve does see as heading to four percent bank rate by about the middle of next year and that is quite a considerable uplift from where we sit so that's very much a coordinated move from the ecb the fed and the bank of england simon just brilliant analysis as always simon french there pamir gordon's chief economist coming up apple reveals it will not be raising prices in the u.s as it holds its biggest product launch event of the year more on that next and this is Bloomberg. Economics, finance, politics. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Francine Lacroix here. In London, this is a picture for stocks. They're rebounding somewhat, but off the day's highs. Uh, if you look at what, of course, investors are thinking or worrying about, they face a harsh reality of sharp rate rises. The ECB, for example, takes center stage later today. Bloomberg Economics predicting a 75 basis point increase to front load tightening, even as the region grapples with an energy crisis. Now, at its biggest product launch of the year, Apple unveiled a new lineup of devices with one major surprise. It did not raise its U.S. prices during one of the worst years for inflation in decades. Bloomberg's Emily Chang has more of the details. Coming to you from Apple headquarters in Cupertino, Apple unveiling a slew of new products, including new iPhones, watches, and AirPods. Perhaps the biggest surprise isn't the new technology, but how much it costs. Despite record inflation, Apple isn't raising the prices on its new phones. So you can buy a new iPhone 14 for the same price you could buy an iPhone 13 last year. Of course, there are technological upgrades, especially when it comes to the Pro, thinner, faster, longer battery life, better camera technology, also satellite capabilities for all the new iPhone 14s, meaning you can send an emergency SOS from wherever you are in the world, even if you don't have service. They also unveiled a new Apple Watch Ultra, this a smartwatch geared toward outdoor enthusiasts. They call it uh, your own personal dive computer, if you will, also undercutting Garmin, the nearest competitor on price, by a few hundred dollars if you're looking at the higher end. And when it comes to AirPods, we got the first upgrade there in two years. Of course, the big question is, will consumers buy? 
any of these new products when they're already under pressure, facing higher prices, everything when it comes to gas and groceries. So all eyes will be on just how big this new Apple upgrade cycle will be. Emily Chang, Bloomberg, Cupertino. Now let's bring in Alex Webb from Bloomberg. Quick take for more analysis. Alex, don't do what Francine does. I got, I mean, they didn't raise prices. And like two months ago, I got an Apple 13. Ah, I should have lived, I should have called you before making that decision. Yeah, but ultimately, the kind of, maybe the biggest surprise is <laughs> there weren't that many surprises. It's not a significant upgrade. So actually, yeah, you might be getting a little bit more for your money this time around. And the prices are the same as they were for this. But you're probably... It's not vastly different from this iPhone 14. There were a lot of comments that actually it was the smallest upgrade in that people could remember. Yeah, but g given that inflation, you know, we're expecting it to rise by so much and they haven't raised prices. Does it show us that they're worried about market share, that they're worried about spending? Well, the thing was quite interesting heading into this is there have been reporting from our colleagues in Taiwan about the number of iPhones they were expecting to manufacture, the number they've ordered from their suppliers. And actually, the number is flat compared to last year. Now, usually you would expect with an upgrade cycle that you'd be selling more iPhones. Now, the fact that it's flat does speak to the su suggestion, at least, that, you know, there isn't going to be as much consumer spending. We know this. We know this from other places. So keeping the, market, the, the price flat... The market took, sorry, the street took pretty yeah. positively because they think that maybe actually that will drive some more buying than had been expected. So then they focus on the watch, on this like, what's it called, the ultra watch, which frankly I will never ever use because I'm not a, an iron woman or not in that kind of like high competitive space that they're going after. Yeah, so it's interesting because Apple has about 35, 36% market share in smartwatches in total. Over, yep. But in the space of more than $500, Garmin really dominates. You know, the people who are marathon runners, rock climbers, divers, they far prefer Garmin's. And so Apple is really coming after Garmin in that space. The thing that's quite, and it is coming at a lower price point than Garmin. Interestingly, the battery life is not as good as what, what Garmin is able to do. So, you know, it, the hobbyists may be. There is still a reason why they yeah. might go towards Garmin, but Apple is coming after but, them. Alex, is that a gimmick or they can really, really make a lot of money? I don't know how many Garmin are sold, for example, a year. Yeah. I mean, look, Garmin is a far, far, far smaller company than Apple, which kind of probably speaks to the scale of it. The, you do forget the, the iPhone still accounts for 50% of Apple's revenue, and Apple Watch, it doesn't even break out individually. It just has it in sort of other devices, So that, pro that which includes things like HomePod, the uh, AirPods, all these things, it lumps them all in together, which kind of speaks to maybe how big a market it is. Just, you know, not, nothing to sniff about, but not anything near the iPod, uh, iPhone. Sorry. iPhone. Alex, thank you so much. Alex Webb there from Bloomberg. Quick take on Apple. Now let's get straight to the Bloomberg. First word news. Here's Laura Wright. Hi, Laura. Hi, Francine. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is warning that a Chinese invasion of Taiwan remains a distinct threat. He's insisting the White House's position over the island's status has not changed, despite Chinese claims to the contrary. He spoke to Bloomberg for the David Rubenstein Show Peer-to-Peer -peer Conversations. I think it remains a distinct threat uh, that there could be a military contingency around Taiwan. And uh, the People's Republic of China has actually stated as official policy that it is not taking the invasion of Taiwan off the table. That 
In the UK, new Prime Minister Liz Truss will today set out her plan to tackle soaring energy bills. It will be her first significant act as leader. Truss has been trying to evoke memories of her Tory predecessor, Margaret Thatcher. The UK hit another unwelcome comparison to the Thatcher era yesterday, with the pound falling to the lowest level against the dollar since 1985. In the U.S., President Joe Biden is holding back on a decision to scrap Trump-era tariffs on Chinese imports. We're told that as the administration studies ways to help businesses seeking relief, any decision before the U.S. midterm elections in November poses domestic and international risks for Biden and his fellow Democrats. The Federal Reserve's battle to bring inflation under control will likely cause more harm to the U.S. and world economy than anticipated. That's according to a pair of papers set for presentation at a Brookings Institution conference this week. One says the Fed will have to push unemployment higher to hit its inflation target. The other warns of the dangers of developing nations from rising U.S. rates and a strong dollar. Australia has passed its first major climate legislation in more than a decade. The climate change bill legislates a 43% cut to carbon dioxide emissions from 2005 levels by 2030. Enshrining the target into laws brings Australia in line with nations like Canada, South Korea and Japan. But it still lags behind key allies including the US and the UK. China extended the lockdown of its megacity Chengdu, home to 21 million people. It's the largest city to shut since Shanghai earlier this year. The decision to prolong the week-long lockdown shows Beijing remains committed to COVID-0, even as it becomes more costly for the economy. Global News 24 hours a day on air and at Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. This is Bloomberg Francine. Laura, thanks so much. Laura Wright. Now, coming up, cashing in with the Kardashians, will reality TV star and billionaire entrepreneur Kim Kardashian is starting her own private equity firm. So we'll have plenty more on that next. This is Bloomberg. Our country is just far too high. Uh, we're not close to the Federal Reserve's uh, target for inflation. And so I'm quite focused, and the Fed is quite focused, on making sure we do the steps necessary to bring inflation back down to its target. So I'm, I am committed to doing that. I know my colleagues at the Fed are committed to doing that. And uh, we understand that in doing that, there may be a sl further slowdown in the economy. Michael Barr, Fed Vice Chair for Supervision on inflation being far too high. Now, reality TV star and entrepreneur Kim Kardashian has a new business venture. She and former partner at Carlyle Group, Jay Sammons, are launching a private equity firm focusing on consumer and media businesses. Now, for more, let's bring in Bloomberg's Danny Berger. Danny, I was obsessed with this story. I know, I mean, this is quite incredible because there's a lot of celebrities going to private equity, but actually, I don't know whether it means it's the peak of the industry. Actually, yeah. 
it's genius because she, she can give them so much exposure. Yes. See, this is exactly the thing, friend. When I first saw, saw this story, I was like, oh my gosh, another celebrity. <laughs> um, maybe it's like the SPAC boom, all these celebrities got in and it represents the peak. But, but actually, I mean, there have been celebrities doing this for some time and they've been successful. Um, Ashton Kutcher, Snoop Dogg, Serena Williams, they all have VCs. And when you think about Kim Kardashian, I mean, she's run these massive businesses. I mean, she's gotten $4 billion worth of valuations on some yeah. of them. She's used to this. Her reach is massive. I mean, yeah. it kind of is yeah. a really good move in a lot of ways, especially for this Carlisle investor. He was in consumer goods. He can be, he's the investment partner. She's the operating yeah. partner. It, it makes sense to me. So she doesn't choose, right? I mean, does she mm. choose the companies or I guess yeah. if you have her on the other line, you probably take that call in that meeting. Well, so, so the way that a private equity company a lot of times will work is you have someone who does sort of the investing of it. So we'll do the due diligence. Yeah. We'll do sort of the wonky financial yeah. part of it. And then you but have the identifying. So that, that comes she first, definitely right? could. Yeah. Either of them could do deal origination. So you identify often it will be more the investment partner but her job likely will be operational which is you actually work with the companies and probably post about them on instagram I'll post them on i mean how many i think she has like millions, millions of followers what does it tell us about the market overall well the market overall it's a tough time for private equity but a brand name that can get you money right now there you go danny Berger. thank you so much our brand name <laughs> gets us money bloomberg's real it's early edition continues in the next hour with matt miller and kay lines in new york anna edwards here in London, we'll look at market reaction. It's ECB day, so don't miss what the market uh, is looking at, which is higher interest rates. It's at 75 basis points. Is it 50 basis points hike that we get from ECB? We'll hear from Madame Lagarde a little bit later on. This is Bloomberg. Going forward, there's going to be far more turbulence. The dollar is ending up as the safe haven of choice um, by default. All in, I think it's a bearish market and rates are going up globally. Fed have, have laid out their course. They're going to be hawkish. We do think that central banks need to move aggressively over the course of this year. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition with Anna Edwards, Matt Miller and Kaylee Lines. It's 10 a.m. in London, 5 a.m. in New York, and 5 p.m. in Hong Kong. Our top stories today. Investors watching the Fed's next move will focus on a speech today by Chair Jerome Powell. Meanwhile, Australia goes against the grain. Its central bank chief signals a potential end to outsized interest rate hikes. The European Central Bank is on the verge of a jumbo rate increase, though. A survey indicates the ECB will raise rates today by three quarters of a percentage point. And President Biden puts off a decision on whether to scrap Trump-era tariffs on China. The administration is looking at ways to help businesses seeking relief. Welcome to Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Anna Edwards in London. Matt Miller and Kayleigh Lines with me in New York, of course. Modest gains for European equity markets today, Kayleigh, but here in Europe waiting for the ECB today. Absolutely. We're all awaiting that decision, which 
will come in less than three hours from now, Anna. But I would note that after the rebound we saw in U.S. stocks yesterday, the rebound was pretty substantial in Asia overnight as well. Even though Hong Kong and China were actually down on the day, you had some outperformance from the likes of the Nikkei in Japan. That helped lift the MSCI Asia Pacific Index as a whole by about 1%. So coming off that lowest level since May of 2020 that we hit yesterday. You also had outperformance from Australian stocks, and that is really where the story was for me overnight. We had bond yields coming in substantially in Australia, that three-year yield down 16 basis points after the RBA Governor Philip Lowe signaled that the case for a slower pace of rate hikes is becoming stronger. That makes the RBA kind of an outlier among G10 uh, central banks. And among G10 currencies, as a result, the Aussie dollar is one of the weakest against the US dollar today, down by about uh, half of 1% or so to 63 uh, 67.32 at the moment. And of course, the Japanese yen is also a story that we are watching. You have Japanese policymakers from the Ministry of Finance and BOJ meeting earlier today to discuss the markets. The first time that has happened since June, but really what they're probably discussing is the weakness of the Japanese yen, which is true once again today. We are at 144.10. This is the handle we haven't seen going all the way back until August of 1998. And it raises a question, Matt, of whether or not intervention in some form, maybe coming down the line. Yeah, absolutely. We're all watching for that. Yesterday in the U.S., we saw a monster bounce in stocks, a turnaround after Leo Brainerd said that the rapidity of the uh, tightening cycle risks uh, creates risks associated with over-tightening. And so uh, that combined with low, really low oil prices, kind of a, a, a collapse in the oil market, um, uh, five or six percent, created this bounce, which is the biggest that we've seen almost in a month. Dan Curtis, our producer in London, points out that these are both on Wednesdays. Should we read something into that? I don't think so. Today, uh, in terms of futures, we're looking at some slight gains here. Well, very slight, one one hundredth of one percent but we have seen uh, futures in the green all morning. The dollar index continues its climb and oil right now is little changed. But look at this, Texas Intermediate at 82. We saw with an 81 handle earlier, we saw Brent with an 87 handle. So really coming down and that creates tailwinds for the market as well. Bitcoin right now off about 1%, still below $20,000 at 19,234. But I think all eyes, Anna, are on uh, central banks maybe now admitting that over-tightening is a possibility. As Kaylee pointed out, Philip Lowe said that in Australia. Lyle Brainerd now admits that, uh, the vice chair of the Fed. And we'll be watching, of course, for the ECB today. Yeah, and, and in the case of the ECB, a slightly different uh, time horizon uh, if we're thinking about peak rates, Matt. But, but the point is well made about what the global narrative tells us at this point. This is the European picture right now. Stocks kind of in limbo, waiting for that ECB. The same moves lower in commodity prices that Matt was talking about yesterday, boosting assets over in the United States, risk assets there. Weighed on the London market yesterday. Today we rebound a little bit. Today up by four-tenths of one percent. Flat in Germany, up three-tenths on the CAC Garant. 
cars. In talking of uh, being in limbo, we're kind of in limbo on the euro dollar this morning, waiting for that news from the ECB. Will it be 50? Will it be 75? Is that the key question? Or is the key question around the terminal rate? How high we get? How wide is the window? How long is the window for rates before we get to, dare we say it, a pivot point for the ECB and those energy headwinds really come home to roost? This is euro dollar then, all the nines as we head towards the ECB meeting later on today. 114.98. We saw the weakest level on the pound yesterday since 1985. We continue to test those lows down by three tenths of one percent. There is a lot of focus on the ECB, on the monetary side, on the fiscal side, though the UK in focus today as we wait for details uh, in the next hour or two around the UK's policy to support households and businesses. Talking of one UK business underlining today the issues that these businesses face, AB Foods, the name is a little misleading. It owns food companies, but also Primark, which is a value retailer here in the UK, a sort of fast fashion retailer. They have been finally, and is this where it really starts for that end? of the retail space. They've been finally uh, giving a profit warning and talking about the headwinds they face, both in terms of the energy costs and the strength of the dollar. They have to go out into international markets to buy those products. The weak pound at 114.98, not doing them any favours. Dark Trace, this is a cybersecurity uh, business based in London, down by 31%. Tom Bravo, a PE firm, private equity firm in the US, was going to make an offer for the company. That has uh, been called off. They're not making that offer. The stock drops more than 30% then, Kate. A massive, massive move. And Anna, I know that Matt was just pointing out how Wednesdays have been the exciting days of late, but I think this is going to be a pretty exciting <laughs> Thursday because there is a lot going on today, including UK Prime Minister Liz Truss expected to announce a package of support to help ease the pain from rising energy bills. We're looking for that around 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. Could be a price tag of about 200 billion pounds. The U.S. also will be hosting the first gathering of 13 Asian nations on an economic pact aimed to counter China's rising regional influence. More on that in just a second. We'll hear from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen as well. She's traveling to Detroit today to deliver remarks on the economy. But really, it's all going to be about central banks. We get the ECB decision, as Anna said, 8.15 a.m. Wall Street time, followed by Christine Lagarde's news conference. And then Fed Chair Jerome Powell will be delivering remarks at the Cato Institute and regional Fed Presidents Charles Evans and Neil Kashkari also will have speaking engagements. So buckle up for a big central bank day, Matt. Well, and then football, right? And that, yes. Yeah, Thursday we... night football kicks off tonight. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There, there you go. All right, <laughs> let's get back to the central banks. We'll talk about football throughout the program, but uh, Australia's central bank is taking an outlier stance on rate hikes. RBA Governor Philip Lowe signaled policymakers may soon abandon outsized hikes. Bloomberg's Danny Berger joins us for more. Danny? Yeah, Matt, this, this certainly got the market excited early this morning, again, very early this morning, London time, um, that this represented a pivot point for global central banks that perhaps are not going to go at it as hard as they have. And now I, I kind of can't decide whether this is a market grasping at straws. We did see some of that global move unwind slightly, whether this is just really Australia specific. But look, the RBA governor Lowe did say things that might chime with other policymakers, essentially saying that they need to wait to see how this transmits through. And a higher cash rate means they won't have to go at it as fast. And look, there's some evidence that Aussie two-year yields, they have been the first to move we've seen at this cycle, that they moved higher before the U.S. did, for example. 
Adding to this argument, we had the Bank of Canada this week as well going 75. Uh, not going 75, I mean, they didn't go as big as many had thought that they would. So perhaps it's gathering evidence. But at the moment, look, they really are the outlier. We continue to hear from Fed chairs saying that, you know, we are going to be committed to this job of bringing inflation down. Okay, meanwhile, back to the Fed conversation then, Danny, and seeing if there is any read across, Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainard reiterated the Fed's commitment to driving down inflation, although she also talked about some of the things Matt was saying about the sort of two-sided risks. She spoke at a conference yesterday. We're in this for as long as it takes to get inflation down. So far, we've expeditiously raised the policy rate to the peak of the previous cycle, and the policy rate will need to rise further. So, Danny, how are banks and forecasters putting together the latest thoughts from mm. these Fed officials and coming up with their forecasts? Well, I, I think it's clear to anyone listening that the Fed's not going to back off. And, and, and in that line, we had Jan Hotzis saying that they've upgraded their forecast. They think the bank's going to go 75 this month, 50 the next month, potentially 25 in December. Now, I got to say, there's some element of Goldman playing catch up to the market. I have in front of me for our radio listeners the market pricing for all the different meetings. They're not too far off from 75, 50, and 25. Um, but it is notable that we're hearing from Fed speakers saying this. We're about to enter a blackout period. We get Powell today. So it does feel like they're trying to prime the market, saying, listen, we're still doing these jumbo rate hikes. We still are not done bringing inflation down. All right, a job ongoing. Bloomberg's Danny Berger, thank you so much. To another central bank now, the ECB is holding its first monetary policy meeting since July when officials raised the key rate for the first time since 2011. The central bank is on the brink of a jumbo 75 basis point hike in rates to wrestle back control over record inflation even as the risk of a Eurozone recession rises. Bloomberg's Europe correspondent Maria Tadeo is in Frankfurt and is joining us now. Maria, who would have thought we'd be talking about an ECB potentially moving 75 today? Well, Kaylee, they have to. I mean, that is the, the, the only way to go about this. The only way is up for the European Central Bank. This is a single mandate central bank. It's about price stability, close but below 2%. And if you take a look at around the inflation picture in the euro area, in some countries it now more than triples uh, that goal. So they have to hike. There's no question about it. The only debate, if anything, the real tension going into this meeting is, will it be 75 or can it be 50 basis points? points. Now, when you look at the 75 basis point camp, what they say is the reality is there's a window. And when that window opens, you have to take decisive action. This is also about the credibility of the institution. You have to hike 75 basis points today. The 50 basis points, this is a minority, but they do make a fair argument, which is you could be hiking aggressively by European Central Bank standards at a time in which, of course, the European economy risks a recession and a full-blown energy crisis. Yeah, and talking about those risks of recession, the energy crisis is a real wild card, a real unknown for all European policymakers. The flow of gas, uh, the, the, the weather, just how cold it gets over the winter, all these things that the ECB has to factor in. Yeah, and Anna, this is on everyone's minds, be it here at the Central Bank in Frankfurt, back in Brussels with uh, the European Commission. This is the one externality that they cannot control 
hope that they can prep uh, for it. And Anna, tomorrow, to me, the choreography that we go from the ECB in Frankfurt to Brussels with that very important energy minister meeting that is scheduled to take place uh, tomorrow, it does tell you that the story now, the geopolitics, the economy, inflation, it really has become a single story. I would point to the words of the head of the commission, Ursula von der Leyen, yesterday. She was defiant, saying Europe is not going to fold into the blackmail of Russia. The goal is to cut down revenues from energy and also stabilize prices for European consumers. The question is how Hopefully tomorrow we get some clarity on that front. All right. Thanks very much, Maria Tadeo, there in Frankfurt reporting on the ECB. Stay tuned for our ECB coverage all day long. Christine Lagarde's news conference today starts, uh, well, the coverage starts at 8.15 uh, New York time, 1.15 in London. We'll be on it, as I said, all day long. The U.S., meanwhile, will host its first gathering of Asian nations on an economic uh, pact aimed to counter China's rising regional influence. That event kicks off today in Los Angeles with 13 countries attending. This comes as President Biden is holding back on a decision to scrap any Trump-era tariffs on China imports. Earlier this summer, the president had signed off on a new exclusion process for exemptions from tariffs on manufacturing materials imported from China. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg governor reporter, joins us now from Washington, D.C. for more. So, Jack, what do we know? Uh, at this point, we know there's not going to be a decision now on uh, the possibility of reducing uh, Trump-era tariffs. Uh, what we also know as far as the timeline is there are a couple things to look for. One, uh, there's an October uh, Chinese Leadership Congress meeting uh, that plays into that decision. And of course, the U.S. November midterms uh, are, are a major point because uh, any decision to, uh, to reduce these tariffs on China could look weak uh, between President Biden and, and his relationship with Xi Jinping. And that there's a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of willingness in Congress to push the president toward, uh, if not a hawkish stance on China, at least it, it, sort of the appearance of, of being tough on China. Uh, so over the next few months, it would be very difficult politically for the Biden administration uh, to make a final decision. And, and yes, as you mentioned, the Office of Trade uh, of the Trade Representative uh, has started a process that would at least allow businesses to, uh, to, to point out tariffs that they think would be particularly harmful to job creation or anything along those lines in the U.S. Uh, but for now, there's not going to be a decision as there are a few uh, major political points over the next couple months that would make that difficult. And another angle, Jack, on the relationship between the U.S. and China, the U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is warning about a potential Chinese invasion of, of Taiwan, or at least acknowledging that that is a possibility the White House uh, considers. He is insisting the White House's position over the island's status has not changed, despite China claiming to the contrary. Let's listen to what he said, because he spoke to Bloomberg for the David Rubenstein show, Peer-to-Peer -peer Conversations. I think it remains a distinct threat uh, that there could be a military contingency around Taiwan. And uh, the People's Republic of China has actually stated as official policy that it is not taking the invasion of Taiwan off the table. That 
Jake Sullivan there, setting out the U.S. position. So the U.S. very firm that, in their view, their position over Taiwan has not changed. Yes, the Biden administration argument is that the position has not actually changed. Uh, a lot of this debate, the, the back and forth between the Biden administration and China, uh, is it, not necessarily over whether there has been a qualitative change in policy, uh, but sort of how much focus there has been on Taiwan. Uh, keep in mind the high-profile lawmaker visits to Taiwan, including by the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, that's not a change in policy. Those lawmaker visits happen, uh, but there there have been now three this year. There's another group that just went yesterday to Taiwan. Uh, and of course, there is a bill that the Biden administration has pushed back on, at least in terms of timing. Uh, and Jake Sullivan did mention they have some issues with the bill that would formally recognize Taiwan as a non-NATO ally. That would not actually specifically change the U.S.'s stance toward Taiwan. Uh, but you have a, a number of things in the news in terms of lawmaker visits, a bill to more formally recognize the existing relationship between the U.S. and Taiwan, uh, and, and uh, just a, a ratcheting up of pressure without necessarily changing the policy, uh, but a, a, I guess a, a harsher spotlight on the existing policies and the existing points of tension between the U.S. and China. All right, Jack Fitzpatrick of Bloomberg Government, thank you so much. And you can watch that full interview with U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on the David Rubenstein Show peer-to-peer -peer conversations on September 21st at 9 p.m. in New York. Turning to corporate news, there was just one major surprise at Apple's latest product unveiling. In one of the worst years of inflation in decades, the company is not raising prices. Apple introduced the iPhone 14, new AirPods Pro, earbuds, and a new Apple Watch. The iPhone retains the general look of the older version while getting camera enhancements and a satellite messaging feature. Though I personally am pretty attached to my green iPhone, and I was disappointed to find that that is no longer going to be an option with these iPhone 14s. As for how all of that is translating into Apple shares this morning, very little changed in early hours, not even up a tenth of 1%. It is a larger move, though, in the pre-market for Asana, the software company. It reported results after the bell yesterday, raised its revenue guidance analysts really positive on that. Plus, the CEO is buying up shares. And as a result, the shares are higher by about 19% this morning. Also higher this morning is GameStop. And no, this is not just another meme-related move. This actually is somewhat fundamental because it too reported earnings after the bell yesterday. Or I shouldn't say earnings because actually it's still losing money and its revenue disappointed, net sales disappointed. Where the optimism is coming from is a partnership it announced with cryptocurrency exchange FTX. That, in theory, may help their pivot toward non-fungible tokens. So as a result, that stock up about 9% in early hours, Anna. So it does feel like it's still about the meme socks and not about the earnings, but we take the point, uh, Kaylee. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's tell you what's coming up on the program a little bit later. We'll talk to Antoine Bouvet, ING senior race strategist. What is he expecting? What is important to listen out for from this ECB meeting today? And the messaging, the balance between rate hikes, laser focus on inflation, but also uh, growth threats. And 
Also coming up, Thursday Night Football is heading to Amazon. It's a $13 billion test of whether streaming is ready for America's most popular sport. Read more of today's Big Take story at Bloomberg.com or on the Bloomberg Terminal, of course. And be sure to catch our new show, Kaylee's new show, in fact, The Lineup, all about sports betting. It premieres tomorrow at 7 p.m. New York time. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Surveillance. This is the early edition. We are simulcast on both Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Television. I'm Matt Miller with Kaylee Lyons here in New York. Anna Edwards with us out of London. And I'm really focused lately on uh, the situation in Great Britain because of the huge drop in the pound. We saw it fall yesterday to the lowest level since 1985. John Mayer was only six. And then funding costs continue to surge. This is the two-year over two-year, but um, by any measure, it's very expensive and getting more expensive to fund your business, which is concerning when your currency value continues to plummet. Dana Albaltaji joins us, Bloomberg Managing Editor for Credit, um, to talk about what this means for the UK economy and what it means for, for corporate credit. Dana? Hi, good morning. Uh, you, you know what, you're absolutely right. The sort, of, the sort of pain that we're seeing in markets is quite significant. See, the thing is, is that with this massive package, we don't know how it's going to be funded. And if it's going to be funded through bonds, then obviously there's going to be a massive supply issue. And if you have that, then the natural reaction is that yields will go up. At the same time, if, because of this package, basically inflation will not be as high as people thought it was going to be, and that's why there's a massive repricing for the pound. It's a double whammy, and it's extremely painful. Repricing for the pound and the short end of uh, gilt curves. Then, Adana, thank you very much for your thoughts. Bloomberg Sana Albertaji joining us with the latest on the UK market. More on that to come. For more market analysis, check out MLIV Go. That's the Market Live blog on the Bloomberg Terminal. This is Bloomberg. Less than three hours to go until an ECB rate decision that could see a 75 basis point rate hike from Christine Lagarde and co. Ahead of that decision, we have a 10-year German Bund yield around 160 a euro at parity with the dollar. What will it all ultimately mean for these markets, especially if it is a jumbo move? Antoine Bouvet, ING senior rate strategist, will join us next to discuss. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. Here's what you need to know. Investors watching the Fed's next move will focus on a speech today by Chair Jerome Powell. Meanwhile, Australia goes against the grain. Its central bank chief signals a potential end to outsized interest rate hikes. The European Central Bank is on the verge of a jumbo rate increase. A survey indicates the ECB will raise rates today by three quarters of a percentage point. And President Biden puts off a decision on whether to scrap Trump-era tariffs on China. 
The administration is looking at ways to help businesses seeking relief. I'm Anna Edwards in London with Matt Miller and Kayleigh Lines in New York. Matt, European equity markets, we had a sort of mixed bag yesterday whilst the US had a really strong session. So we played a little bit of catch up, but now kind of in limbo as we wait for the ECB. Yeah, we were a big yesterday here after Lyle Brainerd suggested there could be risks to over tightening and after oil fell, we have an 81 handle on one point on text intermediate. We're now coming back down a little bit in terms of futures. Um, not much, only about one tenth of one percent, a little less than that. Nonetheless, the direction looks like it's changing ahead of what is it? Four hours, four hours, yes. four <laughs> hours until the market opened. Bloomberg U.S. dollar index is rising on the rise again, although not as high as we saw it yesterday. Still, the strong dollar has been a, a tailwind for, uh, sorry, a headwind for um, other countries' economies. And um, one of the things I think that's pushing central banks to act maybe a little bit more, the ECB may be hiking 75 basis points today. NYMEX crude, yeah, still with an 81 handle. It's coming back down now about three quarters of uh, 1%. This is really interesting because we even got a, a rate, uh, or sorry, a production decrease from OPEC plus, but with the lockdowns in China, you can understand that demand is less by about 27 million people. Bitcoin falling about 1%, 19,220, but still hovering around that $20,000 level. Kaylee, what do you see in terms of pre-market movers? That's what I'm here for, Matt. Deliver the pre-market movers and help you tell time. So in terms of pre-market movers, GameStop is what I want to start with because, of course, this stock often moves with nothing related to fundamentals. But we actually got some news yesterday. The company delivering results. I say results after the bell because it's still losing money and net sales disappointed. But where the optimism is coming in this morning is the fact that they announced a partnership with FTX, the crypto exchange. Maybe that helps with that shift to NFTs. So that stock is up the better part of 10% before the bell. And a number of stocks are moving related to analyst action as well. Deutsche Bank upgrading Moderna to a buy in part due to strong uh, earnings results. So that stock is up about 2.2%. Stiefel initiating a buy rating at AMD, uh, citing an execution, uh, executing on the product roadmap going pretty well. So that stock is up about half of 1%. And then First Solar upgraded to a buy at Goldman, a 170 price target, which would be about 28% upside to where the stock closed yesterday. It's up about 4% in early hours this morning, trading right now at 140, Anna. Kaylee, uh, we did have small gains on European stocks earlier. We just dropped to unch, unchanged on European stocks. There's a lot to wait for, though. Details on the fiscal stimulus in the UK. Details from the ECB on their thinking, the communication and how it falls down between those two stools of fighting inflation, of course, but being mindful of the risks to growth in the future. This is what limbo uh, looks like on the pound as we wait for further details of fiscal policy. 114.82, that low uh, that we haven't seen since 1985 being touched in yesterday's session. Uh, this is ABF, the Associated British Foods business, which owns the fast fashion chain Primark, and they had a profit warning this morning, announced a profit warning, and really it's a, tw it's a sort of classic twin worries for UK business right now. On the one hand, the higher cost of energy. On the other hand, the strength of the dollar, the weakness of the pound means going out into those international markets to buy those clothes is more expensive. Dark Trace is a cybersecurity business, of course, Matt, here in London, and uh, it is down by 34% or so today because the private equity business Toma Bravo based in the US was going to buy the company those talks though have now been called off 
All right, so we'll continue to follow those stories. Now let's bring in Antoine Bouvet right now, ING senior rate strategist, because there's so much going on in the world of central banks. Antoine, it looks like we, I mean, we didn't have a pivot from Lael Brainerd. She still said they're going to do whatever it takes. Um, rates are going to have to be higher for longer. But she did acknowledge that there are two-sided risks to continued tightening. And then Philip Lowe um, at the RBA um, said something similar. You've heard this kind of dovishness from Philip Lane. Are central banks starting to kind of chill? No, uh, especially when it comes to the Fed, uh, it's clearly a minority view, I think, that uh, it's a good time now to highlight um, the risk of over-tightening. This is going to be a conversation that they're going to have at the end of the year. But as we've seen in Jackson Hole, the message is very clear. Uh, the market should not be uh, focused on you know, the next stage after tightening. Uh, when it comes to the ECB, it's very different, I think. We have two camps, and we still have a pretty strong dovish camp that came out earlier this week with various interviews in a magazine. And clearly, these people don't want a high 75 basis point. They want to be more gradual. They want to be paying more attention to that trade-off between growth and inflation. And this is going to be very interesting what makes it to official ECB communication today. Mm, yeah, good morning to you, Antoine. It'll be interesting to see then. I mean, if we got, if we just got 50, quote-unquote, just got 50 from mm -hmm. the ECB, would that be seen as dovish? When you compare it to the big jumbo hikes we've seen from the Fed and the like, would it, would it signal that the ECP, ECB is not quite as focused on inflation? Yes, absolutely. Uh, 50 basis points would be seen as a dovish move, and I think the market will be extrapolating to the next meetings, thinking that when um, bad economic news come and bad economic data arrive, then the ECB will flinch and, and not hike as much as the market's pricing. So yes, it will be very important. And what kind of acknowledgement of the risks do you think we should get from the ECB? You know, they'll want to, just like the Fed, they, they might want to give these hawkish messages mm -hmm. about how much they want to fight inflation. But at the same time, everybody knows that the risks to the downside for the Eurozone economy are so intense. So what kind of messaging do you think they'll be delivering? Yeah, that's the difference between should and will. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think they will be acknowledging much, this, I think. The uh, Fed's strategy to be you know, very much focused on inflation and ignoring these uh, economic downside risks uh, has paid off for them. And I think a lot of the hawks on the governing council and perhaps even the majority think that this is the right strategy. So if you look at the economic forecast back in June, they were extremely po uh, optimistic. Uh, they're probably going to be too optimistic this time ag uh, around again. And in a way, the market will interpret that as saying the path is clear for more aggressive hikes. Antoine, we are all so focused on the hikes for all of these central banks, what size they will be, how high they ultimately go. We also just don't really talk as much about the balance sheet. When are we going to be having a more substantial conversation about QT in Europe? This is really the, the potential curveball uh, curve for today. I mean, uh, I, I don't think they'll, they'll talk about this today. It's too dangerous, but uh, the Hawks want to talk about this by the end of the, uh, the, end of the year. There's a lot of things that can happen on the balance sheet uh, front. They can start discussions about QT. They can talk about their reinvestment policy, extending that from one bond program to the other to manage spreads. They could signal to us that they are closer to activating the TPI. Uh, if they hike more aggressively. So there's a whole range of things that can happen. And the, the risks are quite two-sided. Ultimately, if they make a mistake, uh, DCB will have to pick up the pieces because they already dipped their toe back in the bond market and they already said it is their job to prevent uh, an acceleration of the widening in sovereign spreads. 
All right, well, we may or may not get some insight into that then in about three hours time, Antoine. Before we get there, we also expect to hear from UK Prime Minister, new Prime Minister Liz Truss outlining her plans for energy support for consumers and energy companies. How do you price fiscal policy in the UK to the tune of perhaps 200 billion pounds and what that ultimately is going to mean for gilts? Uh, it's very difficult. So I try to, to break it in two main impacts. One is the economic impact and how it's going to protect the economy from certain growth downside and potentially also make it, uh, you know, make inflation slow down the, 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 the inflation downside that we have. That's one aspect. And that, I think, is already priced because we cannot know the size of it and, and uh, the definition of the energy cap. What we don't know is how it's going to be financed. And this is very important for the gilt market. Um, unlike the pandemic in 2020, 2021, uh, the Bank of England is not buying bonds anymore. They, they're you know, releasing them in the market through quantitative tightening and they will be selling them uh, in September. So if you add up quantitative tightening, if you add up the existing deficit, the new deficit on the energy cap, plus uh, potential tax cuts. That's a lot of money that private investors are going to have to uh, put into the gilt market. Probably around 120 billion this year, around 210 billion next year. So that's unprecedented amount. And the question is, who will buy them? Uh, one of the answer historically has been foreign buyers, but uh, with sterling uh, weakening a lot, you can reasonably wonder whether these investors want to take that FX risk. Okay, yeah. So will that gilt supply test the kindness of those strangers, Antoine? Thanks mm. very much for joining us, Antoine Bouvet of ING. We'll stick with that story next. We'll talk about what's going on in the UK. We'll discuss soaring energy prices with Johnny Marshall, senior economist at the Resolution Foundation, a think tank that focuses on improving living standards here in the UK. We'll discuss what we expect from today's, uh, today's fiscal boost. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. You're looking live at the principal room. Coming up today on Balance of Power, Eurasia Group President Ian Bremmer. That's at 12.30 p.m. in New York, 5.30 p.m. in London. This is Bloomberg. I will make sure that people are able to afford their energy bills at the same time as dealing with the long-term supply issues to make sure that we are resilient in energy and never get into this position again. The UK's new Prime Minister there, Liz Truss, speaking yesterday during Prime Minister's questions in the House of Commons. Now, Truss is expected to lay out her plan to help ease the pain for, uh, from rising energy bills. That's at 6.30 Eastern time, so in around 45 minutes' time. Uh, the government could end up spending as much as $230 billion over the next 18 months to contain energy prices. Uh, Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden joins us now with a look ahead to what to expect. So uh, one of the big questions that still hangs over this package is who's going to pay for it? Indeed, because it is a hefty price tag, as you say, and despite it costing £200 billion, almost a third of consumers uh, would still see their energy bills triple uh, compared to last winter. In terms of how to pay for it, Liz Truss was quizzed on this at her first standoff 
put Prime Minister's questions with the opposition leader Keir Starmer yesterday, but she seemed to rule out a windfall tax. And then later in the day, it seemed that perhaps she would continue the current windfall tax on energy companies, just not extend it uh, to include power generators or increase the rate beyond 25%, which means it's going to take a lot of borrowing to fund this. And we also heard from Andrew Bailey, BOE Governor, yesterday speaking to lawmakers. He said uh, that the bank might have to put the brakes on active quantitative tightening given how much borrowing it's going to uh, mean. Mm. Which brings us back to the former Chancellor Philip Hammond's warning to Liz Truss on Bloomberg TV. The markets are watching. Yeah, absolutely. And to the guilt conversation we just had with our, with our guest from ING. Lizzie, thank you very much. Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden with the latest there on what we expect. Let's get a deep dive into this then. More on energy and the policy options that governments face, not just, not just here in the UK, but elsewhere as well. Johnny Marshall joins us, senior economist at the Resolution Foundation, a think tank that focuses on, on improving uh, the standard of living for low and middle income earners. Uh, Johnny, great to have you with us. So from your perspective, with the goals that you have in mind for this kind of policy, what would make a well-designed policy? Good morning. So there are a number of things that any sort of policy in the energy sector needs to be considerate of. Um, one of which is, of course, the ability for people to pay their bills. So something that would be more targeted at people at lower incomes would be one route to go. And that's something that the government has done before by, for example, giving payments through the benefit system up to £650 for qualifying households. There's giving flat amount of money to everybody, which is also set, apparently set to continue following the announcement today with £400 going into everyone's account. Or there's intervening to change the price that energy, the energy that households use. So that instead of giving a, a set amount of cash, the, the sort of support mm. offered is proportional to the amount of households, the amount of energy that households use. And that is quite important because, for example, a, a family on a low income with four children will use a lot more energy than a family on a low income with one child. And accounting for that difference in energy need is very important in whatever the government does. Uh, Johnny, so, so interesting perspective there. Is, it, is there an economist's perspective on how this should be paid for? Is that an entirely political decision? We heard our colleague just referring to Liz Truss yesterday saying she doesn't like windfall taxes. Of course, we already have one in place on oil and gas companies in the UK. Uh, but is, do, you, do you have a view? Is there a view at the Resolution Foundation on who foots the bill for this and over what time horizon? I mean, we, we would agree with it be better, better funded through borrowing than going on household bills, for example, which is one of the, the ways it was trailed earlier in the week. Funding, funding this sort of expenditure through household bills is much more aggressive than putting it on taxation because, in general terms, wealthier people pay more tax, so we'd foot more of the bill, so it's a fairer way to pay for it. However, within the energy sector, there are, of course, huge amounts of money being made, and this is in the production of energy, so oil and gas, especially in the North Sea, and also within the electricity sector. So the, the linking of electricity prices to gas prices means that companies that don't burn gas to create electricity are getting the profits as if they were doing so, but without the costs in the first place. So there's a huge amount of money being made within the energy system, which comes up at the expense of household bills. So it seems only a matter of time until that sort of that sort of disparity is squared off. Johnny, if, um, if the government steps in to help subsidize energy prices um, that leaves families free to use extra cash um, to pay higher prices for other things. Doesn't this fuel inflation? Um, well, 
Energy, energy bills is a large component of, of you know, how we measure inflation and our estimates about that's capping um, the price cap at £2,500 would shave about four percentage points off where we see inflation peaking next year. Um, of course, there are, you know, there are, there are wider factors. The cost of living crisis isn't just um, focused on energy bills. The price of energy feeds through into how we get around, what we eat, what we buy, everything else. Um, but sure, sure. well, if this holds my energy bills down, then I'm free to pay more for that car or bid higher on this eBay auction or, um, you know, uh, pay more money to watch Premier League soccer. So, you know, doesn't it sort of drive it up everywhere else? Well, it brings energy bills down relative to what they would be with no action, but it, it, they're still left significantly higher than they are now and have been historically. So, you know, the first few years of the price cap being introduced, the average typical household bill was about £1,100 per year. And if it's capped at £2,500, that's, that's, you know, clearly more more than doubling of this, this like, long-term average. And even at that lower cost, we still had, you know, 10% of homes in Britain suffering from fuel poverty. Mm. So, you know, we haven't completely, you know, we have, uh, the price signal has been sort of de deadened to some extent, but it's still a huge increase in energy costs, which, right. you know, the, the main priority for this is making sure that people can afford to, to not, not freeze this winter. And this is one, one quite good way of doing so. But Johnny, here's the thing. We're talking about this winter and sure you can help them out this winter by capping energy prices, but the, is this just going to have to become permanent policy if the gas supply issue is a problem for Europe and the UK for many winters to come? I spoke with one commodity strategist yesterday who said we're going to see elevated natural gas prices through 2025, 2027. Mm, I mean, the UK is you know, hugely structurally reliant on natural gas. Um, as a nation, the UK, you know, Double down heavily on gas when it starts flowing out of the North Sea in such volumes, and as such, you know, we're on the household level, we're one of the most gas-reliant nations for heating our homes. We have we burn almost, you know, we produce about forty percent of our electricity from natural gas, and getting getting away from this this sort of old-fashioned reliance on on natural gas is going to take is going to take some time. And you know, there's a clear consensus about what the solution is. It's just finding the ways to do that as quickly as possible. So, for example, one of the things expected this afternoon or late this morning is an announcement to start looking at a supply of energy as well as the sort of retail side. And part of that would be offshore wind. But there seems to be a big gap on, say, onshore wind and solar, which are much quicker to build, much quicker to bring online, much quicker to commission and can start generating cheaper and less gas-linked energy price energy which is less less linked to the price of gas much quicker mm. so we should be looking for more more of these sort of big structural changes in our energy sector we need to reform our energy markets in general so that the price of gas isn't such a dominant factor in parts of the energy sector for which okay. it isn't isn't relevant and also we need to you know cut energy use at home this is by insulating houses by changing behavior all, all of this is needed and we to, expect to bring bills yeah, down. We and we expect we might hear some more on that today as well. Johnny, thank you very much for your time. Really good to speak to you. Johnny Marshall, Senior Economist at the Resolution Foundation. Coming up on the programme, Amazon makes a $13 billion bet on America's most popular sport. More on today's Big Take next. This is Bloomberg.
This is Bloomberg Surveillance Early Edition. I'm Matt Miller with Kaylee Lines in New York. Anna Edwards with us out of London. Let's get over to Tom Keene right now, co-anchor of Bloomberg Surveillance, um, to preview the program and show us, Tom, your single best chart. What have you got? Single best chart is chart of the year. It's one part of chart of the year, Matt. It avoids Japan. Just for TV and for today with a focus on the ECB, I thought I'd take, char uh, take uh, Japan out of chart of the year. It is nominal GDP back 20 years with America well-ordered in a perfect straight line and Europe a train wreck. There is the boom in Europe of 15 years ago and then coming off 2009 as you lived in Germany, Matt, Europe absolutely flatlines. The delta here is about 119% growth over 20 years for the United States versus a, a, a nicely lower number for Europe, and I'm going to call it the Paul Lagarde Delta. It's an extremely emotional chart about what 75 basis points means to Christine Lagarde. Mm, a nice reminder of the real long-term challenges the Eurozone faces then, uh, Tom, and, yeah. and rather than just the short-term ones, which we talk about a lot. Who are you going to be talking to about these issues? Well, we've got a number of people to talk to today, but Anna, you are dead on, dead on, dead on. This is, this is little to do with the war in Ukraine. It's accentuated it. But most of these uh, ideas were here uh, before. John Lisa and I are going to drive forward to the ECB uh, today, a wonderful setting. So I really want to highlight Holger Schmieding of Berenberg. He is truly one of the most astute uh, market economists in Europe. Elsa Lingo starts us strong on weak sterling and weak yen. All right, Tom Keane, always dead on. Thank you so much. Now let's take a look at what else we're watching today other than central banks. It's football. It's my favorite time of the year. NFL kickoff is tonight with the Bills versus last year's Super Bowl chance, the champs, the Los Angeles Rams. Our big take story today is looking at the fact that Amazon, as of September 15th, will be the only place where you can watch Thursday night football after its $13 billion deal that will last for about 11 years. But Matt, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Most people go into seasonal depression in the winter. I think mine is February to <laughs> August when there's no football. So I'm so, so excited because football is my absolute favorite as are sports in general, which is why I'm super excited that starting tomorrow, we have the debut of my and Damien Sassauer's new sports betting show, The Lineup. It's a huge industry, a $100 billion handle potentially expected in 2022. We're going to dig into what bets are most likely to pay off historically. Nice. It's going to be really awesome. So I, I'm, I'm really actually, excited. I'm super pumped about both of these things because I've been out of this country for the last five or six years. I haven't been able to watch the NFL, so I'm definitely looking forward to getting um, a, an early start on the season and following it all the way through. And then I want to be betting more. You know, I want to <laughs> know what the line is. I want to make or most likely lose money on this sport throughout the season, so I will oh, definitely Matt. be tuned in to your program. Oh, no. And now you cast me as the as the person who brings the tone down, because I'm just <laughs> going to tell you about two lessons learned here in Europe. Certainly when it comes to watching the Premier League, as Amazon entered 
the list of broadcasters who, who, who show Premier League games, the price has gone up. We did that analysis at Bloomberg a couple of days ago, in fact, which showed even in a competitive environment where there are a number of broadcasters, the cost has gone up since Amazon joined the fray. And also, we have 60 years of sports betting here yeah. in the UK. I'm sure you did a bit whilst you were living here, Matt, but we learned a few lessons about the things not to do, which I'm sure in the US people are very mindful of. Yeah, everyone knows how to bet in the UK. and But you know what? <laughs> I already have Amazon Prime, so I'm all in uh, regardless you're of the cost. You're all set. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're happy. Um, well, I, I hope you enjoy the football. That is it for early edition. More surveillance still to come. This is Bloomberg. Audio Entrepreneurship, leadership, and free market capitalism. You are listening to Kyle Keegan. Welcome back to the Kyle Keegan Radio Show, where we are bringing producer-centered radio to your favorite podcasting apps. What is this show about? We are here to bring out the very best in entrepreneurs. We make way more than a living. We build things that are bigger than just us and our own efforts. We embrace entrepreneurs and the value that they bring to the world. We believe that entrepreneurship is a high calling and an honorable pursuit. Our own efforts are finite, but our businesses can be infinite. The world's resources are available to good leaders, and it is our job to be those good leaders. Having created great wealth means that we created great value, an option chosen above alternatives by our customers, investors, and employees. Value creation improves lives. Get that in your head. Have that on your mind at all times. Value creation improves lives. So when there's somebody creating value in some form or fashion and getting filthy rich off of it, they are not doing so by making other people poorer. They are doing so by improving lives. And that is very contrary to what the world believes. If you want to interact with the show, your options are now currently Telegram and the Fastlane Forum. We will get into that in a moment here. And if you are getting great value out of the show, the only thing that I ask of you is that you bring your five-star reviews and you also tell your friends. The five-star reviews can be posted on the Apple podcast apps for those of you who are Apple listeners. And if you're not, I think you can just do it by going to Apple Podcasts on your browser and leaving a five-star review there. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 322. I hope you enjoyed 320 and 21 because I had sort of the intro to our 
Leadership Series. I'm calling it Victorious Leadership because we're going after some victory here, ladies and gentlemen. We want to be victorious. So I did part one of Victorious Leadership, and I really just went over the power of leadership, why it's so powerful, why it's so important, why I place such a high emphasis on leadership. I truly do believe it is the most important skill set that you can have in business because it's the only one that scales up, right? You can be a really good salesperson, but that doesn't mean the people around you are going to be really good salespeople. Hey, and you might say, well, if you're really good at sales, you can teach other people to be sales. Boom, you're a leader. Right there, you have transitioned from a salesperson to a leader. Oh, you're a coder, you know? That's your skill that you decided to have. You're a coder now. Well, if I'm a really good coder, I can teach other people to code. Boom, you are a leader again, right? You have transitioned from coder to leader. The power is in the leadership. The power is not in these little individual skill sets. Develop skills, become smarter, absolutely. But understand where the true power in business lies, and that is the power of leadership. I love to say that you can do anything that you want in business as long as you can convince enough people that it's a good idea. It's not about the money. It's about your ability to inspire, which is what today's episode will be about once we get to that. I also, I think I'm going to start doing this more. Uh, there's Those of you who have been following probably noticed the shorter episode. It's a six-minute episode on capitalism. So there was a commentary that I did about Ben Shapiro and a socialist in an argument. And it was, it was fascinating. And, and I like this little six minute hop on here. It keeps the focus mostly on entrepreneurship and business, but every once in a while puts the prevailing socialist stuff on trial. So uh, ben Shapiro owning a socialist. It was pretty cool. You can check that out. I called it episode 321. It's labeled capitalism short, and it is not part of our victorious leadership series. However, it was cool. So I'm going to start throwing these little six minute, just hop on and say a few things shows on here as well. So that was pretty cool. The other thing I wanted to say is you may have noticed that in the beginning, I didn't say text our number. I didn't say follow on Twitter or any of that kind of stuff because we're making some changes around here and it's fitting for the leadership side of things that I make a leadership move in not just my life, but the show and hopefully this is something that you guys can really respect. Hopefully this is something that you guys are like, heck yeah, Kyle's got it figured out here. But I want to be authentic with my show. I want to be the most authentic version of me I can possibly be. Otherwise, this show loses its magic. And those of you who've been around for a long time 
know that I'm very authentic. I dive deep into the things that piss me off. I dive deep into the things that I struggle with. I do not paint a picture of all I do is win and I'm way cool and you just should learn from me because I'm super cool and I have all the answers, right? No, sometimes it's about figuring things out. So I want to be extremely authentic. And I want to say that one of the things that I have been doing has not been authentic Kyle Keegan. And that is asking you guys to follow me around the entire internet. Okay. I know it's where you're quote unquote expected to be. I know that People have this expectation that you need to be here and you need to be there. Well, my new decision is I will be where I decide I want to be. And you want to know what the most inauthentic thing is? Me spending hours of my time on a platform owned by communism, right? It's literally owned by a communist Facebook Instagram, Twitter, they're all commie owned platforms. Why am I going to spend money being the product, right? If something is free to you, you're not the customer, you're the product. You are being sold to the actual customer. I don't want to be that guy's product, right? I don't have to be that guy's product. So I've taken a step back and you, you guys know that I took a step back from Twitter. You also know that I have now taken a step back from the text message thing. Where can you find me? Telegram. Okay. Why did I choose Telegram? I believe that Telegram is built for the long haul. It's an open source platform. It's a very free speech oriented platform. You really just own your audience there. It's yours. Okay. That text message app had terms of service where you couldn't even monetize. It had terms of service where you couldn't say what you actually wanted to say. And with a capitalistic radio show and the prevailing winds of the world favoring socialism and communism, that wasn't going to work long term. They monitored stuff. I literally, when I have texted you guys, I have had it say, are you sure you want to text that? It has a couple of words that are going to be under review. Right. And the, it wasn't like you guys know that I don't send some inflammatory stuff on the text message. Those of you who followed that. So it will literally ask like, oh, you've triggered our filters. And are you sure you want to send this? Because this will be under review. And if you violate our terms, we're going to ban you. Like and then on top of that, I paid quite a bit for that service. Right. I paid for somebody else to tell me what I can and can't do. Didn't fit authenticity, Kyle Keegan. It just did not. So we took it out back and shot it. It's it's gone. Telegram is where you can interact with the show. The other place you can interact with the show, as always, the Fastlane Forum. Right. It's the best entrepreneurship forum on the internet. So those are the options. I like to say that if you're going to do something, you do it with excellence. So I'm not going to do 50 things with less than excellence anymore. I'm going to do two things in addition to the radio show with excellence. That's where my head is at for that. So 
I realize that this isn't by the book. I realize this isn't the way that they tell you that you need to do things. That you need to be in a constant, you know, startup bro phase where you're constantly engaging with people on all the platforms and stuff. Like, I don't understand how a guy like Gary V has a life or a guy like Grant Cardone has a life. All he does all day long is content creation. Okay, I am going to be a hell of a lot less accessible than them. And you want to know something? If it slows my growth, so be it. So be it. I am building an authentic entrepreneurship podcast that inspires people and supports free markets and our ability to build great things. So that's what this show is about. Authentic. I'm done. I am no longer going to feed what I consider is a large part of the decay of our world. I'm not going to do it anymore. Sorry, you won't find me there. I saw an interesting quote from MJ DeMarco, the owner of the Fastlane Forum, and he was talking about something that he sees as having a high justice value or an injustice. And I was like, well, what is this? You know, normally I don't really give a damn about the word justice, but this fit. He said that you find it unjust when a social media nobody shakes their ass and flaunts their cleavage and gets a million followers, right? But you try to change lives and families and you can barely scrape together 10,000 followers. It's infuriating. And this is why we find it hard to operate in our culture and view ourselves as outsiders. This is why we say, what's the point when it comes to social media? Fighting human behavior's path of least resistance is always going to lead to frustration and disappointment. And it's not that I was just overwhelmingly disappointed or angry about social media. It just wasn't something I felt was authentic and matched the mission of the show. I don't feel like you find the true producers hanging out for hours on social media, consuming your content. So I decided to trim back and I couldn't agree more with what MJ said there. And I did spend quite a bit of time on this and I want to spend the time on this because today's episode is about leadership inspiring. Sometimes you have to take a step, a step that might be risky for a business or a venture or perhaps a, a media thing like this podcast. And I took that leap and I explained it to my listeners, and honestly, I got a pretty good response from it, so far at least. Uh, I think most people are pretty much in support of what I have to say, and I think a lot of people are starting to trim that junk out of their lives. So today we're talking about leaders inspiring, okay? And that is, in my opinion, the primary role of a leader. When you discuss the quote that I had earlier that you can do anything you want as long as you can convince enough people that it's a good idea, you don't need the money. You need to convince people with money that it's a good idea. 
you know, you don't need the skills. You need to convince the people with skills, either with money or with some other form of compensation or inspiration that it is worthwhile for them to become involved in your project. Leaders inspire. There was a very interesting exchange in the Steve Jobs movie, one of them. I know that there are two. And it talks about how, oh, Wozniak was really the brains behind it. And he really built the technology and all of this kind of stuff. And everybody always, you know, the, the uninitiated or the people who really just don't understand leadership and business and all of that kind of stuff will say things like, you know, Steve Jobs was kind of a crook and Wozniak was really the guy, you know, behind there that was doing the stuff, right? And it paints this picture in the movies, and I don't know if this was truly the situation or not, but he, Wozniak, was really like the hobbyist guy. He just wanted to tinker with stuff. Yes, he had that skill set to build computers and make them work and be able to show what they do, right? But Steve Jobs was the guy with the vision to turn it into something marketable and turn it into something that the world wanted and eventually decided they needed, okay? There is a massive difference in skill set there, and arguably Steve Jobs was more important. I would say Steve Jobs was hands down more important than Steve Wozniak because there was a world full of tinkering people that were buying hobbyist parts at computer stores and all of that kind of stuff and putting together their own little systems for fun. Okay. There, there, there was a world full of that crap already. There were, there were a million Steve Wozniaks, maybe not a million, but there were a bunch of them out there and there was only one Steve Jobs, the guy who could turn it into what it eventually became Apple computer company. And in the movie, there's this impassioned argument between Wozniak and jobs and Wozniak is standing there saying, what did you do? What did you do? What did you even do? You're not an engineer. You're not a designer. You don't work with your hands. You don't do this. You don't do that. You know, all of this kind of stuff, essentially like you suck. I don't know why everyone thinks you are a genius and nobody looks at me, right? And his answer to him was extremely inspiring, and it might have been a little bit cocky, but it was correct. Musicians play the instruments, and I play the orchestra. And that is really how this all works, right? You are the maestro when it comes to your businesses. You are the ones that are orchestrating all of this coming together and working together to create a beautiful sound. Yes, you are orchestrating something beautiful. That's what you're doing as a leader. And it's the most important part. Without it, they would all be individuals, they would not be acting in a cooperative fashion towards a common goal. They would all be off in their own corners of the world doing their own things or underneath a different leader working towards a common goal with somebody else that isn't you. 
So that is the most important part of being a leader is inspiring others. And yes, he even inspired Wozniak who later was mad at him for something, you know, whatever, right? Wozniak would not have been the wealthy man that he is today. If he's still alive, I'm not sure about Wozniak. I don't really follow the man. If it wasn't for Steve Jobs, he should be thanking Steve Jobs because Steve Jobs turned his little tinkering, you know, hobby activity into a multi-billion dollar enterprise that had actual attractiveness to a market. It's amazing to me. So who is the genius here? Steve Jobs is absolutely the genius of the operation not Wozniak. So using the same example, what about Steve Jobs was inspiring? Okay. And, and look, some of this might be just because I watched the movies and read the books and it might not be perfect in how it unfolded, but at least in the context of the material I had to understand the dynamic here, this is what happened. He became relentless and he became relentless, not in a way that turned people off. He became relentless in a way that people took a look at him and said, wow, he's going places. He's going to make this happen. I actually believe in this guy, right? It is one thing to say that you're going to do something and this is how it's going to unfold. And it's another thing to show day in and day out, a relentless effort in pursuit of the thing that you said you're going to do. There's a very big difference there. You guys probably know the talkers of the world. They're not leaders, right? You know, like, would you trust your money with somebody? If he came to you and said, you know, I need $10,000 to push this over the edge. It's an amount that many of us can easily afford, but you know, might have a little bit of a grip on like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to give you 10 grand, right? It's, it's a bit of money, but you could let it go for the right opportunity, right? Let's just call it that. And they come to you and they say, well, you know, I could use $10,000 and it will get me over the edge. And you can think of in your mind, somebody who you'd say, yes, I'll give it to you in a heartbeat right? You can have my 10 grand, take it, right? And then you can think of people in your mind that talk a big game, that have big plans with their life and are so-called decent entrepreneurs or whatever. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't give them $10,000, right? There's a difference there. One is a leader and one is not. One is exhibiting that behavior where they chase exactly what they say they're going to do and they come through, right? So what we want to do is become people of immense competence, right? That's the first step. That's the foundational level. You want to be known as somebody of extreme competence, you can do exactly what you say you're going to do, and you can do it efficiently and well. 
Okay, are you one of those people who, when you show up somewhere, everybody kind of jokes, oh, oh, hey, it's that guy, he's always late. Every single time he comes anywhere, we got to wait for him. Are you that person? Add it up in your mind, especially if you're that person. Would you have an immense trust or an immense belief in a person that you couldn't count on even for something so basic as being there on time, right? I, I have found it very interesting, the habits of David Goggins, okay? I am reading right now, currently, I hired a SEAL to live with me for 30 days, whatever. It's the Jesse Itzler thing. I don't know exactly the title of the book, but I'm really enjoying the mindset of this guy, he is, he lives with perfection. He has a very simple life, right? He keeps it simple, but he does everything he does with absolute perfection. And he's an interesting guy. You know, I would say he's not probably somebody that you'd want to hang out with, or, you know, he might run the risk of having to run six miles or something like that. But the fact of the matter is, here is a guy who I guarantee you was never late, ever, ever, ever late. <laughs> you know, there is never an excuse. Really, that is the best way to describe David Goggins is that there is never an excuse, right? Anything that even remotely sounds like an excuse becomes this thing that he attacks so harshly. And it's, it's kind of incredible to read about. And it has definitely been something in my life like, Kyle, why is the kitchen still dirty, right? Kyle, why haven't you done the lawn in a week and a half? It looks like crap, right? Why does your lawn look a little bit worse than your neighbor's? That's, that's not okay, right? You want to live in the 1%. Do you not? right? You want that 1% of income, but don't you want to be in the 1% of other stuff? Athletically speaking, don't you want to be in the 1% athletically? Don't you want to be in the 1% of healthy eating? Don't you want to be in the 1% of as many things as you can possibly be as far as leadership and in your family, right? Don't you want to be a 1% parent, husband, wife, whatever it may be, don't you want to be in that 1%? And I feel like everything that that man does, he intends to do at 1%. And if he doesn't intend to do it, he doesn't intend to do it. He blocks it out. But then here is the key. Anything incrementally that does not support that desire to be in the 1% of all of those things right? The things you decide are important to you and you make a decision. Like I want to be, let's say health food, right? 1% of eating healthy, right? And you decide to pick up a Philly cheesesteak, right? And he asks you why, right? Why did you pick up that Philly cheesesteak when you have these goals? And the next thing that comes out of your mouth is going to be an excuse. And that's the way he lives his life. It is a take no prisoners way to live. And it was very interesting to me. 
And it was a it was a strange leadership lesson because I can't see David Goggins running a giant company. But it is certainly that baseline competence, right? He has nailed that baseline competence better than anyone I can possibly think of in public view, right? He is the guy who does what he says he can do. And he, I, can you imagine David Goggins being late for a meeting? Like, what would he do to himself, right? He'd run like 100 miles to punish himself or something for being late to a meeting by 13 seconds. You know, like that is the kind of guy that he is. So point is, like, that was the really good example of the guy that's always late. You, you, We all know the guy that's always late, right? Don't be the guy that's always late. There are other little things out there like that that just speak to the seriousness in which you take your life. And if some of those things describe you, you have some serious habits to reform. You have to work on that. Because the next thing on the list, and it goes along with the competence, is being incredibly responsible. Okay, a leader is not someone who blames others for what has happened, right? If something went wrong, there are the people who always have an excuse. I actually, my wife had an employee for her business that made just constant epic excuses all the freaking time. And it drove my wife mad, right? It really bothered her a lot. Like this lady would just always have crazy excuses. And we found out later that she read some book by Rachel Hollis. Okay. That says, no, you should never apologize for anything ever. Right. And I don't know anything about Rachel Hollis. That book has never appealed to me. I don't think it's ever appealed to Brittany either. So we know nothing of exactly what Rachel Hollis said, but knowing this woman, right, this excuse making woman, my first inclination would be that she took something severely out of context. Okay, but if indeed that book is spinning such garbage like you never apologize ever, then I cannot believe that it has the type of followership that it does. It's a very popular bestseller on Amazon. Is that the stuff that's being sewn into people's heads to be irresponsible? And instead of being responsible and someone you can, you know, that can be counted on, you are instead an excuse-making, irresponsible person. You know what excuses do when you bring in this habit of having excuses for why things happen and it's always not you, it's outside of you and all of this kind of stuff. It brings on less and less responsibility. So you become a less and less responsible person as time goes on as you get used to using these excuses. And it builds what is called, and I've gone over this before, an external locus of control. You believe the world happens to you instead of you happening to the world. Leaders happen to the world. 
Leaders are responsible. Leaders will apologize. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have something to apologize about, apologize for it. Take responsibility for the thing that went wrong. Even if your employee jacked something up, you are ultimately responsible for the deliverables of your company because you are the leader and you didn't keep good enough tabs or something went wrong under your watch. You are responsible. We are responsible as leaders. We absolutely apologize when things go wrong and we prove with our disgust for what happened, that this will never happen again. That is the proper way to handle a screw-up, not making some excuse like, eh, I just, you know, there was a lot of traffic today. That's why I'm late. Well, I guess there's a lot of traffic around your car at all times. You know, the traffic just happens to follow you around and no one else, right? You can see through it the same old crap. Every single time people start to see through it and you become someone that no one can count on. Instead, we become the right person that they bring their problems to, that they ask questions of. Hey, Kyle, what do you think about this? Hey, Kyle, I'm starting a business. Do you think this is a good idea? Why are they asking me? Right? Because they think I'd have something legitimate to add, right? That stuff happens all the time. People ask me stuff. Why? Because I have built a level of competence in my life and I'm not trying to brag or anything like it. You know, I'm not a braggy person, but I've built a level of competence that I feel others can depend on me. Whoa, super braggy, right? Anyway, if others can depend on you, that is a great foundation to build upon. And then you have to have confidence, not just competence, confidence, right? You need to be confident in the direction that you're headed, that the ideas and the tasks and all of the stuff ahead of you are something that you can complete. You can put the puzzle together. You can play the orchestra and have the right drummer do the right drum task and have the right horn player play the right horn and do well with that, right? Each element has to work together in order for you to build a great company. When I was in my GovTech business that eventually did not work out the way I would have wanted, I had some pretty high dollar folks working for me really high dollar folks. Why? I inspired them to be a part of this company at a level that could have even changed the lives of these high dollar type people forever. And I remember like beating our heads against the wall, like trying every single route that we could take. And every once in a while, just feeling the need to sit down at the computer and crank out this email where I thank them for all that they do and appreciate them for all that they do and understand where they're coming from. Like we have gone down this route and this route and this route and this route to no avail. But I thank you guys so much 
for sticking with me on this project and continuing to try to battle this out and find the right way because leaders find the way. Leaders don't take that no for an answer. Leaders find the right way. And I can't tell you how much great feedback I've gotten from these people who at the time, like, guys, I was like 23, 24, 25 running this company. And these guys, they loved working with me. They had this belief that because they were working with me, they were following the right guy, right? They were going to do something that was going to be epic for them. And, and ultimately, you know, things worked out for everybody, but it did not work out the way that we would have hoped. But it's a good leadership lesson that even though I was in some cases half the age of these folks, I was somehow inspiring to them with my actions because you don't lead by just saying stuff. You don't lead just by being there in front you lead with your actions, okay? And even when we were running on emotional vapors in this company, they would thank me for being the inspiring person to work with that I was. And that was kind of crazy. I don't know. I've never even told that to anybody. It just kind of came out of me today on the show I've got one more little story for you, and I think a lot of people will take this confidence argument and say, well, that means you got to fake it till you make it. I never fake anything, ever. No, I do not believe in faking it until you make it, right? Scratch that out of your entire game plan, if it's something that you've ever thought was important for you. It actually is one thing that turns me off about that book that I'm reading, the I Hired a Seal, the Jesse Itzler stuff. That man is a fake it till you make it guy, and he thinks it's funny. And I really, it struck me as rather dishonest, a lot of the dealings that he started off with, but not to each their own. I don't believe in faking it until you make it to the point of discussing this with somebody I've helped out recently. So Tyler Bates has been on the show recently. We talked about getting him a distribution deal for his product, and he is working with a very large company now putting together a deal. And the thing that I told him was very interesting. It would probably be contrary to what a lot of people said. But I said, you need to put the cards on the table. We're not building a house of cards here. You need to put your cards on the table. And you need to essentially go to this person, the representative of this company, and tell them with confidence that you've never done this before. right? That you've never served a very large client like this before. This is your first go around, right? But not that I'm incompetent, right? I want to tell you, please have patience with me as I figure this out and create a deal that is exciting to us both. Please be patient with me as I make sure that this deal 
is as bang up as all of your biggest suppliers that you may have. And please understand that I am, this is my first time, right? It's not going to be the last. It is absolutely not going to be the last. And I have confidence that I'm going to be able to serve you at a very high level, but this is my first time, right? And I got a text message from him today that talks about, you know, he's signing some, some contracts and stuff like that. And he said with a, a laughing emoji that I just put my home address on there as my business address. And I'm like, Hey, that's what's so freeing about the blatant honesty, right? You didn't build that house of cards. You know what happened, ladies and gentlemen, by him doing that? They had patience with him. They weren't like always demanding of him. They weren't somebody who's, oh, this guy is, you know, not actually who we thought he was or anything like that. He didn't build himself up to be anything he wasn't. Okay. So when this deal took some time to, you know, come together in the right proper way, right? There was already a foundation of actual mutual respect. Like you've got to start somewhere and here I am starting. You've got to start somewhere. And I was blatantly honest with you. This is my first time out of the gate, but we are going to make sure this is awesome, right? We're going to. I'm going to, I'm not going to allow it to be any other way. I'm going to make sure that you guys love working with me. Boom. Right there. And can you see that that is inspiring, right? Even though it isn't what you would traditionally think a big company would want to hear, because you know what I would say? I would say that so many people show up faking it till you make it and blow it at some level because they don't meet the expectations that they put out there for themselves, right? They come in the door and they act like they've done it a million times before. They act like they have got, you know, 75 people working for them, churning away, and there's no problem with anything ever, right? And then they are a very difficult individual to work with. They blow it, right? And instead, what I believe this created was a dynamic of huge respect, right? Wow, thanks for being honest with me, number one. Number two, wow, that's very cool that you're actually taking a cool step into a huge direction. That's very cool. And number three, we're going to be patient with you because you're honest with me and you're a straight shooter and you're the type of person that we might want to work with. I don't know that any of that actually happened in their minds, but can you think about the psychology of that, that somebody comes to you and shoots that straight, that somebody comes to you, that is a leader right? That is a leader way to behave, not faking it till you make it hiding behind, you know, the things that they can't readily observe, right? You have now created a great foundation without a house of cards. No wind's going to blow you over because the houses, the cards are laying on the table, right? They're not built up into something that you're not, so I don't believe in faking it till you make it, but I believe in being inspiring and being honest. Lying is only inspiring until the wind blows. There's a famous quote from Warren Buffett 
who said that you have to wait until low tide to see who's swimming naked. That's his quote. And it, it it's interesting. You know, everybody's high on the hog. Everybody's life is super awesome until something bad happens. That wind blows, right? And then you see people for who they really are. Did they stand the test of time? Did things actually work out for them? You see it ultimately. So anyway, be an inspiring leader, ladies and gentlemen. Inspiration to others is an important, very important part of leadership. It comes from competence. It comes from responsibility. And it comes from confidence. But it does not come from faking it till you make it. It does not come from lying. Ladies and gentlemen, be brutally honest. Right? Share where you are. Let people have some patience with you. Buy yourself that patience. It's not an excuse. It's the truth, right? Just give people the God's honest truth. Anyway, I hope that added up today for you guys as a great leadership lesson. I hope that there are some actionable items in there that you guys can take with you as you conquer your weeks and months and years ahead hopefully this changes your life for the better that's what we can all hope for with all of these shows thank you for supporting the show ladies and gentlemen being a part of our movement up the charts please share the show with your friends tell everybody else about it give us your five star reviews i very much appreciate that connect with the show on telegram and also the fastlaneforum.com God bless you guys. Entrepreneurs like you build the future. Have a fantastic rest of your day and stay tuned for our next episode. Until next time, keep building amazing things. Adyen, the payments platform that adapts with your business so you can accept all kinds of payments with one single integration. Visit Adyen, A-D-Y-E-N dot com to learn more. Consistently attract soulmate clients. Begin showing up on brand, monetizing on your calling. Welcome all spiritual coaches, leaders, healers, light workers, and practitioners to a show that turns you on in your business and amplifies your magnetism. I'm host, catalyst, and spiritual business coach, Rosalind Fung, and I'm here to journey with you into the juicy and help you discover where the real gaps are. 
ignite your mindset and soul with strategies and systems as each episode takes you to the sweet spot that activates your sogasmic business. Enjoy this light language activation as we begin to magnetize and monetize. I am so happy to be here. I am having a solo episode today from my new home here in Lake Country, British Columbia, which is just 20 minutes outside of Kelowna, where we were staying last year. Oh my gosh. Let me paint the picture for you in what I am literally staring out at right now in the, the out of the window in front of me. Um, and those of you who've been seeing me on uh, my social media feeds on Instagram and Facebook, you know the view. I just did a Facebook Live this morning post-workout, so you can go check that out. Literally manifested not just a backyard because that's what I requested from spirit last year. I'm like, we need to have a backyard living in the top of a condo last year. Downtown Kelowna was beautiful. Um, But the one drawback is having two uh, boys who are eight and 10 now, um, you know, being very active. It was kind of hard to be, you know, like, we're used to living in in uh, in Edmonton. We were just like, okay, go outside. We live in a cul-de-sac in suburbia, so there's tons of kids outside all the time. And here, it's just you can't do the same thing. So we wanted a backyard, and Spirit not only gifted us a backyard, they gifted he he she Spirit gifted us the beach, Emerald Beach. And the view of the mountains. And it's so incredible. So go and check that out on my uh, Facebook uh, feed. You will see that. Rosalind Fun Coaching Bold Sexy Warrior. Whew, the frequency has been incredible here, my loves. And I'm really excited to be sharing with you today on how to be bold and unapologetically confident. And I'm going to say in general, and particularly I'll be speaking about pieces because of my uh, business as a visibility coach to help others be bold and unapologetic in marketing themselves. Okay, so I'll be speaking about that as well. And I'm sure I'll be uh, downloading for you some stories of (laughs) my own personal experiences. So particularly, this is for you if you know, you're noticing, you're struggling with confidently marketing yourself or confidently putting yourself out there. You know, I was just talking with uh, one of my girlfriends, who's also one of my business coaches, and she was sharing with me a statistic that's actually quite scary. Um, And the reference is from BizJournal. So it's uh, only 11% of women and that's across the board, are making six figures and beyond annually. And then when it comes to women entrepreneurs, only 6% of women entrepreneurs are making six figures and beyond. My loves, we need to change that. And I truly believe that a huge part of that is because of the lack of confidence many of us women entrepreneurs and women in general struggle with because of societal beliefs and probably cultural as well, right? And so 
many people are attracted to work with me because I am being what I <laughs> am preaching about, right? And let me say we are not born confident, all right? I'm going to go more into that. We're going to talk about the ingredients that you need when it comes to being confident to like in general, but then also to sell yourself. And what are the things, the aspects that stop you from being confident? And how do you move past these? So I'll be sharing stories as well, because trust me, <laughs> I'm not always confident. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. And how do you get over feeling like a fraud? Feeling like you're bragging, you're, you know, like being conceited. And, and how do you like get over that sense of just that ego, right? And, and feeling like you're egotistical. So let's talk more about that today. And of course, if you're tuning in live, um, please do write your comments, your questions in the comments. I would love to see that. I can see them uh, as I'm live streaming here today. And of course, as you're watching on the replay, always you can drop it in the comments of this replay as well, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook. I will always check back in. All right, my love. So before we go into today's episode, I also want to let you know, and some of you who, again, thank you so much um, for your support. You know that I've been nominated for four awards um, from Business for the Heart, hosted by Your Holistic Earth. And um, we are not able to go for all four awards. <laughs> Okay, the fact that I got nominated for four awards is pretty mind-blowing. Thank you. Like, that means so much to me. So um, I can choose two of the categories. And if you're in my e-community and you're, like, part of my soul tribe, if you're not, get in your booty in um, as Facebook friends, as Instagram friends, in my Facebook group, Raise Your Vibrations for Coaches, Healers, and Lightworkers, um, you have been seeing that... Uh, you've been helping me choose which two categories to go in. So as nominated for Entrepreneur of the Year, Impact Award, uh, Heart Centered Award, as well as um, Champion Award. And so, you know, based on what I really was feeling into, as well as the feedback from you all, I decided to go for Entrepreneur of the Year. And that sounds sexy as fuck, right? <laughs> and, and as well, Champion Award. So I want to go over a little bit about what exactly these mean and why I decided to go for this and why I believe I deserve this. So let me just actually pull it out in terms of reading the actual definition. And to vote for me, you can go to www.business from the heart.ca. All right, my loves. So entrepreneur of the year goes to a solopreneur entrepreneur who is working hard in their business and whose efforts show. This individual embodies the qualities mentioned in the other award categories. So it covers all bases. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and that they are seen as a pillar in their community and a leader in their industry. So if you feel like, yes, Roz, you've been really showing up, 
this really resonates with me that this is you, this describes you, I would so love your support. And it is actually one of those um, uh, votes where unfortunately, the, the, like I say this, you know, because it's like you can vote daily. Um, I don't love that model, but I'm not going to bug you to vote daily for me. But if you feel called to do that, that would so mean a lot to me. And then Champion Award. Um, this one is an, that for an individual entrepreneur or business who is a champion for others. This individual consistently provides testimonials, shares posts, sends referrals and finds ways to support others in business. So my loves, if you are part of my inner circle, you know, I love to cheer other people on. Um, you see that I've been sharing my client wins and testimonials. I celebrate my own wins. I send referrals. I freaking love, love, love the power of creating win, win, win energy. And I'm the referral queen. <laughs> I always joke that um, if I was to start another business, it would probably be like a matchmaking business in, in like, yes, in personal matchmaking, love relationships, because I also have a psychic ability to do that. Um, two couples I've matchmade are now married uh, or and engaged. Um, so I just get hit with lightning bolts. I'm like, you need to meet this. But this also happens more often in business um, that I love connecting people who are epic together and be like, you two need to know each other. You're going to be co-creating. I don't know how. That's you guys to figure out, but I just see it. So it is so powerful. Um, so then part of the nominations is we need to actually like share. So there's judges um, with why we deserve, because this is about championing for yourself. This is about confidence. Okay. I'm modeling this for you all. And I know that I imagine that uh, those who were nominated, this is probably a big stretch for many of them. Um, if, and it's a beautiful practice. Because confidence is, is a practice, my loves. We're not born with it. Okay, confidence is about the um, belief in yourself to do something and to do it eventually really well, right? We don't look at look at like babies, right? When they're and then they start to grow into toddlers and they're like learning how to walk. But how many times do they fall? Do they give up? No right? They persevere. They get resourceful. Well, it's exactly the same. And then eventually they're walking confidently. It is exactly the same process when we apply it to certain activities. Okay. So, um, confidence is really related to particular activities, right? And you may have heard me many times say, you know, like, um, and you probably many times heard me say about my story about bodybuilding back in 2008, got into it for all the wrong reasons, thinking if I have this perfect body and on the other side, my life looked completely quote unquote perfect. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's where I just started my private practice as a psychologist. Uh, I was a second degree black belt and role model to kids, teens and adults in karate. And, and I was really like, just confident and it was good at everything I did. 
right? In, in the areas that I specialized in. And on the inside though, I was crumbling. I was crumbling. What you saw on the outside didn't match what was on the inside. I had very low self-worth. And I was actually not aware of that until I came in last place on that day on stage, that competition. And um, it led me to a breakdown, which we all know means breakthrough, right? And I learned that I was unconsciously operating from this belief that I am valued in my doingness. So my performance, all those things that like society hits as quote, unquote success markers. And you know, your status, your titles, how much money you're making, all that stuff versus my value in, you know, my beingness, who I really am. And my doingness was never enough. And so no wonder I was like this perfectionist, this overachiever, this hardcore type A personality, like no gain, no, no pain, no gain kind of thing right? Yeah. You feel me <laughs> like rest is for the dead. And so, uh, when I realized that was the belief that I was operating on in this constant inner critic of like, this isn't good enough, do better. You know, like I, I, that's what I would hear too. Just like, um, and not, there is absolutely no blame with my parents. Absolutely no blame. I'm so freaking grateful my parents did the best that they did with the tools they had on hand. I have a very good relationship with them to this day. And, you know, like it's the traditional cultural um, roots of being Chinese, being Asian, right? We are, we are very much about societal success and being valued in that, having a high status and I know that's just not my culture, but like it's specifically ingrained in my culture. And so, you know, being able to um, strip that away, peel off the mass even more and come home to myself and learn to slow down. Adyen, the payments platform made for today, tomorrow and whatever comes next. With Adyen's single solution, it's simple to accept all kinds of payments, in-app, online, in-store, touch-free, and beyond. And it seamlessly adapts with your business. So keep your customers happy and your business growing with Adyen. Visit Adyen, A-D-Y-E-N dot com to learn more. Um, learn the art of slowing down, learn the art of sacred rest. Like, yes, I'm still a type A. You don't change your, your type, whether you're a type B or type A, but you can change how you move into your life and the energy of it, you know, the patterns you engage in, right? And so it's like, wow, you know, it's, it's really coming home deeper to myself really embracing perfectly imperfects. And that's what I'm all about. You guys see the imperfect shit I do. And I'm like laughing at myself. You want to be able to laugh at yourself. And so that's part of having confidence too. So I was very confident, but my self-esteem, my self-worth, how I saw myself. So basically the value I hold myself at the time is very low. So confidence and self-worth are not the same thing. Although lots of people confuse it. Uh, it as as it is interchangeable it's not okay I used to believe that as well 
And like now that I have a lot of self-worth, am I also confident? Well, it depends on the activity, okay? <laughs> am I confident to speak in front of a huge crowd on the topics of mastering your energy, leadership, money mindset, uh, meditative, like coming home to yourself, like all the things that you know I, I speak about? Yes. Am I confident to change attire? Nope. Am I confident to cut my boys? hair? Nope. Am I confident to skydive? Hell no. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, but am I confident to learn these things? Yes. Except the skydive thing that would, that really would be the thing that I'm just like, Oh, but no, I, I just don't do falling. So, (laughs) okay. Um, maybe one day I'll be crazy enough to say yes. I so admire those of you who like are confident to be like jumping out of airplanes and thinking it's no big deal. I'm just, yes. Wow. 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 Okay. So confidence is really a skill that you master. And so confidence is also what, um, what I really believe has made me stand out and has helped my clients as well stand out. You know, it's what helps us be successful in our business because we confidently show up. We confidently market ourselves. We confidently sell. Selling hat and money, there's a whole bunch of funked up energy around that for most of us, myself included, um, until we start working on the inner stuff, the inner work around this, specifically and dive really deep. All right. I love, love, love uh, working with coaches, money coaches, selling sales coaches around this because it is really huge. Even if you're good at something, we can always dig deeper, right? There's always like another level. And so um, I'm going to come back to what I wrote in terms of why I believe I quote unquote deserve to win the Entrepreneur of the Year Award. So I wrote this. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Uh, I want to start off by first saying, I don't know if I deserve this award more than any other person that has been nominated for this category. Um, And that's, I mean, that's a God honest truth, right? I don't, I don't believe that any of us are more deserving it than the other person. We all freaking work hard and each of us, you know, are really living in our deepest whys, our soul mission and it's just as equally important. Who's to say that my mission is more important than someone else's? No, it's not a comparison thing. <laughs> okay, who's to say whose business is more important than someone else's? No, we're all equal that way, okay? And having said this, I do believe I deserve the Entrepreneur of the Year Award because I stand for the importance of helping people remember that if the dream is in them, it's for them. And that anything is possible to achieve when you put your mind, your heart, your soul into it. Our deepest trust with ourselves and with the universe is what really matters to create a difference in others' lives, whether it's in our personal or our professional lives. And I stand for integrity, accountability, 
and the importance of having meaningful relationships and co-creating win-win-win energy in this world. All right, I'm not available for win-lose, lose-lose, no fucking thanks. All right, like that's how passionate about I am about this. Like win-win-win is the only option here. All right, and you know, we've all been in relationships where it's just we might be in the losing and someone else is in the winning, whether it's in your intimate relationship or in a business relationship. No, thanks. I'm not available for that. And neither should you. All right. I'm just going to say that um, the positive impacts and personal and business transformations I have facilitated in other entrepreneurs success, such as helping them believe in themselves take aligned action, increase their bottom line significantly. I have helped um, my clients triple, double, triple, quadruple their income. Uh, These are the things I'm most proud of. And of course, my people are not about the money. And I'm going to say, because I used to say this, right? I would say, oh, the money's not important. My loves, what are you saying then? What are you saying about your relationship with money? That is not important. It is absolutely critical and it should be a priority, but it's not that um, we are doing things because we're driven by the money like primarily, right? It's because we are on a soul mission and we want to create soul impact and leave a legacy at the end of your life. You're not going to be, you know, saying, oh, I wish I made more money. That's not what it is. That's not what it's about. But you know that the money, as you're making the impact, the money follows, right? And really, we are absolutely deserving of being rich inside and out. And that thing, it starts from inside. It's an inside job. Richness and wealth is an inside job, right? Even if you're born into wealth, and I know people who have been, okay, they still have the same money shit as somebody who struggles with um, money, like physically, you know, struggling from paycheck to paycheck. I see that, right? So it's not really about how much you have in the bank account. All right, richness is an inside job first. It's an energy, it's a frequency, it's a vibration. And so... um, Coming back to this, I also want to share about the Champion Award in why I believe I deserve it. Uh, so, <laughs> so the Champion Award, once again, is somebody who like shares client testimonials, sends referrals, cheers other people on. Hello. Like, I embody that, right? Um, when people think of me, I'm like the referral queen. I'm the connection queen. It's just a psychic gift I have. It's a heart-driven gift I have. I'm like, you and you need to get together. Goodness gracious, during COVID, you have no idea how many um, people I have connected into a circle and have become friends and supported each other. Uh, it was incredible. And just even in business, my business blew up for in a good way <laughs> in 2020, right? Because there were so many people who needed to bring their business online, coaches, healers, light workers. How do we do this? How do we do this? And it was so beautiful because I did this in community. Um, 
meaning uh, at the time it was my signature program, Client Traction Academy, which totally is still available as well. Um, And it's like, holy moly, the connections that have unfolded. And today, two years later, I see the beautiful co-creations that people who met in my uh, group coaching program uh, have then formed friendships that I see they're forming like collaborations and they're putting themselves, they have been and continue to be out there in the world and expanding. I am so freaking happy. You have no idea. Like happy is not even the the word that uh, even comes remotely close to how fulfilled I feel. Just seeing how others flourish. Okay. And so um, I... This is what I wrote. I have a natural gift and psychic ability of connecting others in business relationships for collaboration, networking, and referrals. People's lives and businesses change for the better because of my ability to connect and refer people. It lights me up with such joy to do this. Interestingly enough, I have the ability to match make couples in real life too. I also love celebrating my clients' wins, both internal mindset and energetic work. Okay, not just the tangible results, like their monetization, the programs they're putting out there, um, like even doing showing up and doing a Facebook live for the first time, and then putting out their masterclass for the first time doing a launch for the first time. Those are the more tangible. But what people don't recognize or see so much of is all the freaking behind the scenes internal work it takes to be showing up confidently and doing the thing that they've been desiring to do to support them in being a serve of service to the world. Like nobody really sees that unless like you're in that inner circle and you truly know that depth. All right, my loves. And I will, tr- I will, I'm living proof. You know, I'm not shy about giving shout outs to my coaches uh, and how they have really helped me change my life. And of course, the biggest thing for me, I've shared it in my, I think it was my third episode of my podcast, right, is taking radical personal responsibility. And that is really the thing. Our, like we can sign up for all these programs, but if we don't work it, we don't get our coaches to like, like we don't show up and then our coaches just can't show up for us in, in that like way. Because we're not showing up for ourselves. It starts with showing up for ourselves and doing the hard shit. Right? Confidence doesn't come easy. Building a business to six figures and beyond isn't easy. All right. And so if you're like getting hard eyes and phased, I'm just going to be real talk here about, about um, this is a pet peeve of mine. This is why, you know, the marketing where it's like, Oh, I own, I made 10 K, you know, and in, in like a few days or this month. And it's my first month of business. Fuck that noise. Like, I'm sorry, but like, really, really, you don't know what happens in the back end because now this is with newer coaches. Okay. So they haven't had a lot of experience working with people. They get really skilled at selling but then they don't have the inside capacity that, that matches that energy of what they're promising that they're delivering. 
All right. And that's where refunds happen. You don't see this in marketing. Nobody's saying, oh, like the nightmare clients, a refund, all that shit. Right. You don't see that. Now, that would be different if, let's say, this person has had like five plus years of epic experiences working with clients and then they hire a coach. And then that coach, with that coach, they make 10K a month in their first year of their, their business or first I mean, month of their business. Sorry, not, not first year. <laughs> um, okay. So with that, that's because they're leveraging on the compound. And that's really the secret. There's, there's like, they're leveraging on the testimonials, on the work, on, there's that confidence, like, holy shit, look at, look at the impacts I've created and I continue to create this impact. And it's about how you position, how you market yourself. That's so important. And so many people, here's a confidence tip, do not, they shy away from that because it feels like bragging. My loves, it's not bragging. It is celebrating. Okay, it's all about the energy. You know, we can all pick up if somebody is bragging versus somebody is celebrating. We can pick that up. And it's not just in that one moment and how they're sharing it, but you watch a person over time and you really, really watch their actions. Do they come across as I'm better than you? Do you get that feeling? Like that energy doesn't lie, right? It's like this ego conceited energy. And that makes us feel small. Like, I guess I'm going to say nobody can make us feel anything. But if the general consensus is most people have the same uh, perception of that person, that's got to be saying something, right? Versus, and I want to speak specifically to you women entrepreneurs and to women in general. We are conditioned to quote unquote, be polite, be quiet, don't be humble, right? You can be humble and celebrate. You can be humble and, uh, and share your client testimonials. Absolutely. There has never been a better time to prioritize self-care. Perspire Sauna Studio offers a private infrared sauna experience. Relax while you detox, burn calories, boost your immunity, and improve sleep. Experience the benefits of regular infrared sauna sessions and sweat with a purpose. Visit PerspireSaunaStudio.com and sign up for your first session for only $20. Ignite the wellness within. Enterprise is ready when you are. For all the, are we there yet? And look at that. The anticipation and conversations in a vehicle that came from Enterprise. With the peace of mind of our complete clean pledge, curbside rentals, and low-touch transactions. Plus so many vehicles of all kinds. So you can relax and focus on the moment. All of them. Enterprise, connecting you to all the places you love. It's like we're so conditioned to not celebrate how many of us women type in the chat box if you're doing this sit here live struggle with celebrating struggle with receiving compliments receiving like in general 
right? And I actually dive deeper into this in my masterclass, my free masterclass, um, how to boldly and unapologetically market your coaching biz and attracts full body yes clients. So the link will be um, in the show notes for this and it's free. So I want you to go watch that. It is a very powerful masterclass. And I'm not going to go over my bold method exactly in the same way that I did in the masterclass today on this, because I want to zoom in on the confidence aspects. And that's what the B is for my bold method. So each letter in bold stands for something. The B stands for believe in yourself. This is about uh, owning your worth, owning the worth of your services, and confidently putting yourself out there, confidently showing up. And it's so important that, you know, when we show up for ourselves, we're showing up from a place of service. So that's so important. Okay, my loves. I feel like there's just so much coming through. I want to come back to what I was sharing about, like, it's about the energetic capacity of being able to, like, when you're marketing yourself, when you're putting yourself out there confidently, and particularly speaking to what I was saying about my pet peeve, like, if you don't feel energetically aligned as a new coach to sell at a certain price point, there's a difference between, all right, that's his fear and you're undercharging for fee, lack, from a lack mentality versus we need to charge the worth of your services. And that's where I help my clients really figure that out. Um, versus like you're just charging a high ticket, just to charge a high ticket so that you can make money. Like, no, you have no, like, no. <laughs> okay, it's got to feel aligned, right? And so... Um, part of that confidence is getting really clear, you know, based on how much experience you've had. My apologies. Right? Based on how much experience you have. And, and then really look at that. When I first started my coaching business, what happened was I would, um, because I had... 10 years plus of uh, being a psychologist, I, I knew already the results I got with my clients. And at the time I started my coaching business as a self-love coach because I was specializing in food and body image, which were doorways, our doorways deeper into aspects of ourselves and self-love, right? And so as a coach, I'm like, okay, well, I'm newer in the industry. I'm trying things on. I'm building my mm, positioning, credibility, and I want to work with clients. I want to serve. So I started at a lower rate, higher than a psychologist, like because we charge by packages, but at a, um, uh, a like a lower rate and than you know what probably most coaches would be charging at that point. Um, and so it allowed me to build my found confidence as I worked with more and more clients. And I, I saw more and more clients come in. Like there was a strategy behind that, but it also is really about alignment. It's about making sure you energetically feel good and 
and it resonates with you with the price. There's again a difference between, oh my God, I'm totally stretching myself and I see the value in charging this because it allows my client to be like in the yes, in the stretch with me. When we undercharge, okay, that actually does you a disservice because you're operating from lack and then that's the energy you're operating from. And, um, and also it doesn't really stretch the other person. So you're not doing them a service either. All right. So there's a lot of energetics around pricing and money mindset and sales mindset. Um, when it comes to, to like building your business and scaling it. And a lot of that foundation is taking the steps to build your confidence with this as well. So we're going to take a break. And during the break, I really invite you to see what's really resonating so far as I'm sharing this with you. And when we come back, I'm going to actually unpack it a little bit and um, share a little bit of a story with you, how I have been building my confidence around something that I'm working towards as a big stretch this year for 2022 and 2023. Invest in your brand and then manifest your success with a robust spheric approach. Ohm Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, Own Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an Own Times magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on Own Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive Own Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Own times. Open yourself to the possibilities. Are you feeling maxed out working one on one with clients and you're deeply desiring to scale your business for more time freedom without sacrificing your income but rather expanding it? Many of my clients who are lightworkers, healers, practitioners, and even coaches, they're often multi-modality, are coming to me because they are sick and tired of working with clients on a one-off session model where the clients are coming in on an as-need basis. Or if they're selling packages, they are selling them in the sense of buy five, get one free, or the greater the number of sessions, the greater the discount. The problem with this is it's still a dollar for hours business model. And so that leaves a practitioner feeling really exhausted and overwhelmed from having to put so much time, effort, and energy in finding new clients that they're not operating in their most elevated self with their current clients. 
And so if this is you, I would love to share with you that it's time to elevate your business and scale it to sell high ticket one-on-one programs or even group programs. This will allow you to have more deeper impacts because you're raising your clients' results. You're scaling your business and you're having that time freedom you deeply are yearning for. If this is resonating with you, love, I'd love to invite you to come on a soul business alignment call with me so that you can stop feeling like you're on this roller coaster ride and start to feel safe and stable and even having fun in your business and your finances. Please go to electrifymybusiness.com to apply and we'll hop on a call. I can't wait to connect. If I could be you, you could be me for just one hour. If we could find a way to get inside each other's minds. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Well, before you abuse, criticize and accuse. Walk a mile in my shoes. Welcome back, my loves. All right, so we're going to unpack a little bit about how to build your confidence. And I'm going to share it in a way where I'm going to share my own personal experiences and um, demonstrate how I do this and how I uh, teach and coach my clients to build their confidence as well. Okay, so there's been many different experiences that have uh, brought up because you know that next level always new level new devil right <laughs> like you've heard that saying before so it does bring up that sense of uh so for me it's like am i am i like am, like the imposter syndrome right um you know you learn what you need to teach so back in 2019 um I was invited to, and I think I've spoke about this before on some platform, whether it was a Facebook Live, probably both, or and on this podcast in the past. So I was invited to speak at a huge entrepreneurial event where I would be speaking on stage with uh, entrepreneurs that were, I looked up to as mentors who are multi-seven-figured, who just like are doing all the things. And I literally froze when after I said yes. I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be huge, and like there was even gonna be a celebrity um, um, coming on, so celebrity uh, entrepreneur, and I was just like, holy crap, am I good enough to be on the stage? Like, what if people think? Like, I literally had this thought: what if people think I'm a waste of space, a waste of time? Like, what if they're just like looking at their watches, like hurry the F up, you know, like I literally thought that and I had to like really unpack that and go, what is that about? Because, you know, 
everything is neutral until you put meaning to it. And how you put meaning to something is based on your belief system. So this was really getting me to go deeper into myself and look at some of those beliefs. Like, what about this situation? Is is that, why is that arising in me? And what then I did from that was literally, well, I, of course I worked with my coaches, right? Did the mindset work, did the belief shifting work. And fast forward, what helps me, so I'm going to try to break it, break it down to practical action steps is like remembering, okay, I have value in what I have to share and not everybody, just like I share, you guys see me, I even have a t-shirt on it. Um, we're not for everybody. I'm not for everyone. And that's okay. But I know that when I step on that stage, even there will be at least one person, if not more, but one person that needs to hear what I am sharing. And so I'm speaking to that one person. Okay. And so it's like really remembering your soul purpose. It's really remembering and standing into taking a stand for what you stand for, even if you are so different from everyone else. And this, you heard me in the beginning, like we're all equal. doesn't matter how much money we're making. It doesn't matter. Like, again, my ego shit came up. So is that happening for you? And it's like, no, let me just, let me just do this. Let me just like do my thing. Cause I know somebody needs to hear it. So you do your thing by showing up passionately. You speak as if every single person in that room is for you. They're not. <laughs> okay. They're statistics. Let's say like, no matter what you walk on stage, you start, it's, uh, whatever comes out of your mouth, there's going to be like 2% of people. And don't quote me on the stats, but you know, it's like, there's, there's like a small percentage of people that will not like you from the, no, for no reason other than they just don't like you. Okay. And then there's going to be a similar small percentage of people who are just like, oh my God, I love this person for no reason other than, you know, energy. <laughs> and then it's the majority of people that you're here to share gifts. And they're kind of like in the, let me see, let me see. Okay. What's resonating with me. Right. So this is really about standing in your power, positioning yourself aligned with your soul purpose and speaking up and doing your thing. Right. Regardless of what else is happening in the background, regardless of what's like, don't worry about that. This is about you being in that conviction and passion. Passion is everything. Passion shows confidence. You know what? When I'm teaching my clients how to sell, I'm like, it matters in the energy. If there's a part of you that doesn't quite believe in your work, then, and that comes with confidence, right? That's why, like, when I say with new coaches, start building that confidence by charging a, a lower price first, right? And then as you get more clients and you're building that confidence because you're working with them and you're getting that feedback, holy moly, like now you got proof. Even when I was two years ago, got certified in Akashic Records, 30 days, 
I practiced with people, no charge. And my confidence soared in reading people, right? You just get out of your own way. So practice clients are really important, even as a psychologist, right? We have to have like uh, a few hundred hours of, and I don't remember now, it's been so long, but uh, of, of like, pra- like clinical hours, counseling hours, whatever our field is. And half of those have to be supervised, right? That takes like almost a whole year at least. So, um, you know, it's like, not like all of a sudden you're certified, you have this piece of paper and then you're, you're worth 10 K. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay. So confidence inside work. I want to, if there's anything you take away from today, that's what it is. Right. And then you're able to show up. So the thing I'm stretching right now this year, I'm going to fully claim it. I haven't claimed it publicly. And here I am claiming it on TV, um, is that I want to be a 10K paid speaker in the corporate world. So that's a huge stretch for me because I don't speak in the corporate world. My experience of speaking in the corporate world uh, was when I was a psychologist and um, I was speak at, at, and at the time because I specialized in self-love um, and food and body image. It was very interesting. It's very interesting because they didn't know what to do with my energy, <laughs> like in the corporate world meeting from financial planners. And I would speak about leadership, things like that. And um, engineers. All right. So a very different crowd. They are more left brains. I mean, my husband's a financial planner, right? And it was not his company, but um, um, it was like, it's a huge stretch because who I'm used to working with are coaches and, and spiritual entrepreneurs. And that's how I speak at and networking. That's usually where the networking is. And so to me, that's different than the corporate world with uh, companies that are, you know, more so having employees and staff. And I know that, you know, there was a part of me that's like, well, what do I have to offer? Like, so my first step, and this is a recent, um, a recent conversation I had with my uh, girlfriends, Laura and Lana of the sister brand, go follow them. They are amazing. They are the women behind the women up shirt. Uh, they are incredible women. Um, they put on manifest tour and uh, through wine, women and wellbeing. Uh, so huge shout out for them and, and, and wine, women, wellbeing. And it's just like, so incredible. They were just like rods you already are like, you would be so because of who you are and your diversity and your topics that you speak about, like, this is what they're looking for. And I had no idea. I had no idea. So I'm just like, really? Like, really? And so it got me. So the first step is talking to people who like, get you and are in that world, do your research, right? That's what that shifted my beliefs thinking, oh, I don't have any, I don't know if I have any value to give in the corporate world. And so as I was talking to them, I was talking to one of my biz besties, Corey Poirier, founder of Blue Talks, multiple ten, uh, best-selling author and multi-time uh, TEDx speaker and coach. Okay. He was just like, you're already there. Yeah. Just, it's about like really getting clear about um, what you want to present. 
that's giving value to them, but from who you are and what you preach about. I'm like, really? So just hearing this and know, talking to people who are in that world has really um, shifted my belief. So that's the first step. Okay, the second step is now I got to go and figure out like, okay, what topics do I want to actually speak about? And I got to create a sizzle reel um, to market myself, which is basically a bunch of video clips of me speaking on stage so that when I go and apply um, to different corporations, they have a sample of how I speak and my energy and what I speak about, right? That I'm feeling pretty confident in. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. And so now I've got a scale of one to 10, one being like not confident, 10 being like, when do we start today as we speak? Because this is a recent goal I've uh, decided to set for myself. I feel like I'm at like a five, you know, like now confidence is about taking action, right? So now the next thing I do once I get the sizzle reels, now I'll go and start applying you know, and now I'll, I'll do everything that I have in my control to go and apply. And of course, not everybody's going to get back to me. So it's being unattached to it. That's the other piece is you can't be attached. Even when you speak on stage, when you're selling, you know, on masterclasses, I'm telling my clients, do not be attached to like the results because then you're putting more pressure on yourself. Even if you're noticing you're coming close, you're closing clients, yeah, be excited, right? But also be aware of not getting so quote unquote high on, oh my God, tying your worth, tying your, your, yourself into the results. Because then the opposite is true. If you've got really amazing results, you know, like 30K launches, this is something I've learned in my launches, right? Um, but like, let's say the next launch isn't as high, then um, that means all of a sudden the same high you got in the first launch and you're not getting the same results in the second launch. You're, the opposite is true, right? You're going to, because you've tied your worth or you've tied something into there, you have some attachment with your ego into the results, then... That means if you don't get the results you want, your energy, your emotions are going to be taken out too. So this is about practicing the law of neutrality. That's so important. Okay. Being able to be in the space of holding possibilities energetically for what it is that you want to um, create for results, but then emotionally being um, unattached, if that makes sense. Okay, it's more like energetics, hold the space, hold the frequency. That's really what it's about. But then it's really being in that place of neutrality. All right, that's part of um, being able to move through the ego stuff, which I dive deeper in with my clients. So also confidence does help. Okay, this might feel like a superficial thing. But it actually is uh, very powerful. Wear the colors of confidence. You notice, those of you who are watching the show right now, or you're watching this on YouTube later, okay, you notice what I'm wearing. I'm wearing yellow. Red is also a confident color. 
right? And so when I'm wearing my gold bigger short too. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you dress in a way that aligns with who you are in your creative style and brand and incorporate some of that color sometime, right? It's color therapy. Dress for success. There's actual uh, research that proves that when interviewees uh, dress in red, they're more likely to get the position, all right? It's a power color. And in fact, one time I was working with one of my uh, soulmate clients and we were doing a, um, a session and I work, of course, very somatically with my clients to shift their, their beliefs really quickly. And out of that process, her homework was to wear more red. And that's what she did. She's like, yeah, I'm going to go and buy more red clothes. I'm going to go and do the thing. And that because we did the inside work too, but then the outside is the constant reinforcement of that confidence, right? Of showing up, of becoming more visible, of not hiding. That literally shifted tons of um, energy for her, okay? And, and so it's less and less fear for her and more and more brave for her to continue to confidently show up, all right? And so... You know, of course, the confidence is going to come for me more in my goal when I see the ball rolling, when, I, when I'm when i like, okay, there's something happening. I'm getting gigs, right? And the talks are happening. So, you know, for me, I it's really important for me to be coached around this, okay? Because I don't know what I don't know about this world. So why would I try to figure this out on my own? And also allow the imperfection to come, allow the lessons to come. And that's what it's about. We can't be hard on ourselves. That perfectionist inner critic is a thing that kills our confidence, right? And so it's really about being clear about your mind chatter, what the ego says, and rising above that and being a witness to it, right? Remembering that we're all souls having human being experience and this emotion, these thoughts are being evoked, if the, the ones that are not in service to you, because they need to be looked at, you got to face them and really uh, move through them, because that's where the medicine is. Okay, there is no bypassing here, because that's what it'll just keep coming up, and you're not going to move forward, right? This is really about going deep into the belief system, shifting that, I can help you if you'd like. Just message me, <laughs> okay? Um, and and just like really dig in deeper so that you come through into your next level version of you. It's the only way to do that. You cannot beat around the bush. All right, my loves. So I have so much more to share about this topic and I know that I'll be doing more episodes, more Facebook lives, Instagram lives about this. So do make sure you follow if you're feeling called to dive in deeper. Number one, go check out my masterclass. The link will be in the comments as well as the uh, my link in bio, um, uh, all, the, all the ways, okay? And then um, do, if you were like, I just want to work with you, Roz. 
message me, DM me, and let's let's get you on a call, okay? And see how I can best support you. And please go nominate me for Entrepreneur of the Year as well as Champion Award. Uh, you can vote daily until September 30th, 2022, as we're recording this. I so appreciate you, my loves. And I just want to leave you with a light language activation in this last minute or so to support you in continuing to be aligned with your soul mission. To come out with confidence, with passion, with purpose. Breathing in and then grounding down your power like a tree with roots, planting the beautiful seeds of your own powerful ripple effects, your confidence. May you grow your confidence. May you continue to be brave and courageous. Feel the fear and do it anyways. Confidence is about feeling the fear and going for it. You got this. I love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. And once again, go to businessfromtheheart.ca to vote for me. Thank you. Thank you. never been a better time to prioritize self-care. Perspire Sauna Studio offers a private infrared sauna experience. Relax while you detox, burn calories, boost your immunity, and improve sleep. Experience the benefits of regular infrared sauna sessions and sweat with a purpose. Visit PerspireSaunaStudio.com and sign up for your first session for only $20. Ignite the wellness within. Audio Jungle.